0: Then get Mary Hart with Miss Elizabeth for an interview. But before she can say anything, Randy Savage turns up and walks Elizabeth away from Mary Hart. Savage barely says anything over.
1: She goes, goes, can we we get an interview with you later? And he goes, you can have my number. It's on my license plate. (laughs) she <laughs> walks off. That's
2: very Stop. good impression.
1: I do a cracking matchup, Man. It's all about the nuance. You need to, you can't just go, Oh yeah, all the time. You gotta be able to bring it down. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what Macho does, brother.
0: <laughs> there you go, there you go, nice. Welcome once again to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and today it's time for us to take on the iconic WrestleMania 3, a night of disputed record attendance figures, legendary moments, and one match in particular which has long been considered one of the best in WrestleMania history. The only question is, what will we think of it? Well, you are about to find out. Joining me today is, first of all, the Polar Bear, Matt Roberts.
2: How are we doing, gentlemen?
0: Don't give me your salute today, Matt. You're in the doghouse. You there's no <laughs> salutes. There's no he's not allowed. All right? He's not allowed. We'll get into that in a minute, but no salutes today from you. You don't deserve it. You don't you're not worthy of the military rank that you, you think that you've got as a consequence <laughs> of this saluting. And also what I am reliably informed is a very hungover Tom Smith. Tom do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, not bad. I've been better, if I'm being honest, but there's one thing that's going to make me feel better, and that's talking about 1987 WF. So, strap yourself in, lads, because I've got eight pages of notes about this. Wow. <laughs> eight, eight sides of A4 nice. about this. To be honest, I don't even think I need either of you two here. I'll, you guys can <laughs> just go and I'll just waffle <laughs> on it's into my the my job easier today, then. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we are firmly in the Goldilocks zone of Tom's uh, sort of timeline, so
1: that's uh, good news. Um yeah, ball's deep, mate. My balls are covered in porridge. At the moment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, first of all, so basically we've got a hungover Tom and we've got Matt who's managed to watch five matches of a 12-match card. He's had two weeks, he's managed to watch five matches, as you can tell, I'm pretty pissed off. There's a there's a scene I've been thinking about since I got the news from Matt about an hour ago that he's an idiot from Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, where the sort of boss gangster kind of guy is sort of saying to somebody, "If you tell me a lie, I'm gonna kill you. If you say something I don't like, I'm gonna kill you. If you stay quiet, <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. In fact, you're gonna have to work very fucking hard to stay alive."
1: <laughs> the, the thing is, the thing is with Tiggy, he won't he not go that hard, but there will get to uh, there'll be levels of passive aggression. That will fly throughout this, throughout this entire podcast, veering into just flat-out aggression. So it's going to be an interesting. I'm just going to sit it from the sidelines. Just love it, having a lovely time watching watching Tiki dismember Matt.
0: Well, you, you, you know you know what the thing was? The thing that really pissed me off wasn't even the original message. It was then the fact that he said, I'm a busy man. And I was like, don't come at me with that. Do not come at me. You're a fucking single life. No problem. Do what you want. Bullshit. I got all right? two jobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is unfortunate. I apologise, that's not great. But you know, whatever the case. <laughs> and, there, and there comes my kind of political guilt coming through there. And I do hate the fact that you have to work two jobs, man. That is uh, not the way
2: life should be. That's the downside of if you want to buy a house today, you need two jobs, people. You, you Here's some political commentary for you. Yeah, you, you want to buy a house, get yourself two jobs, otherwise
1: you're fucked. I worked uh, two jobs for a uh, considerably long time, about three years, I think. But that was just because I didn't have much on. Yeah. I can't remember this. When did you do that? It's when we lived together, bro. I worked in HMV on Saturdays.
0: Oh yeah, you did, didn't you? Yeah. You no, know, yeah. full four,
1: full time admin, and then HMV on a Saturdays because I didn't have much on. That was it.
0: Couldn't do that today, <laughs> could you? Does HMV even exist anymore?
1: <laughs> just, <laughs> so, just barely. <laughs> I tell you, you walk you walk through Broadbeach and you see still see this poor sad goon who was the manager there still working there. Oh. So yeah.
0: So before we start today's show properly, um, I'd like to start the show by giving a big shout out to Christopher Madriaga, who has been a big supporter of ours over on Facebook for a while now and deserves his prop from us. Thank you for your support. And thank you to all of you who listen to us talking utter bollocks for over two hours every episode. And I would imagine, given that Matt hasn't seen most of the show, he'll be talking a heck of a lot of bollocks today. We have a Facebook page. We do have a Facebook <laughs> page. I I update it maybe 3-4 times a week. I do my best to keep it updated, but to be honest, it does go by the wayside. I haven't got a topic today, I haven't got got a thing to bring up, except for the fact that I want to kind of, I'll tell you what, what we'll do is we'll reflect, we'll do a bit of reflection. So Tom, as you know, we covered WrestleMania 2 last week with Steven, Mm -hmm. and Matt has now had a chance to recover, I guess, from watching WrestleMania 2, and of course, previous to that, WrestleMania 1. He told us last week that WrestleMania 1 is better than WrestleMania 2.
1: I was going to ask that, because WrestleMania 2 is absolute shit, and Matt... Notoriously scored WrestleMania a zero, I, I remember listening. So how did that work?
0: We're not going minus scores, so Matt did just no. give it another zero, but maybe yeah. would you revise your WrestleMania one rating on the basis of
2: that show? Maybe I'd push it up to a one. <laughs>
0: Right, fair enough. It's not. It's not worth me going back and changing the average. Yeah. But interesting stuff. Now, So, how are you feeling about those two shows? And and I and I guess Matt, your expectations for today. Well, did that color your expectations for WrestleMania three?
2: Believe it or not, like this one, I was actually looking forward to. You know, as as a change, because I, I got to be honest. I mean, WrestleMania so far has been shit, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite sad, really, considering what I know it to be today. But. Considering how famous the the Hogan Andre match was, and I've never seen that in its entirety, so I really was actually looking forward to that. And there, there's a documentary I've mentioned in the past as well that I, I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to find it out. But there was an Andre the Giant documentary who was on Sky about a year or two back, and it's it's one of the best wrestling documentaries I've ever seen. And they went quite heavy on the uh, the, the Hogan Andre match, so I was really fascinated and, and looking forward to seeing it. And not only that. But I was also looking forward to the Ricky Steamboat um, Randy Savage match, considering how supposedly awesome that was meant to be as well. So I was looking forward to this week. Good stuff. It didn't didn't help you actually watch the show, did
0: it? But you know, um, (laughs) basically, I got
2: there. I I I got there a bit late. At least with the second half, but but I got at least half of it in. Yeah, you haven't got there by a stretch,
0: mate. There's still a good half of the show to watch. You're not you're not even there. I'm expecting you to have watched the rest of it after this, so you still put in the work. Then come back and report on, on the rest of it when we do our WrestleMania 4 episode in two weeks' time. Tom, what was your expectations for this?
1: Oh, oh. <laughs> So,
0: uh, actually, there's a funny story here. So, a number of, I mean, it's got to be at least two months ago, possibly two and a half months ago, that I f- originally floated the idea of doing all the WrestleManias. That's how long we've been kind of planning towards this. And legitimately, the day after I floated the idea, Tom was already absolutely busting at the seams to watch WrestleMania 3. He just could not wait to watch it. So that just gives you a little bit of context. Now, Tom, you take it away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to, uh, to allow that, to a bit more context behind that. As well. I'm intrigued. It was, it was before our recording of No Mercy, and it mm. was a good like week of No Mercy 2001. one It's good old man's last show, and it was a good week before um, before that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to start watching it now. And Tiki was like, no, we've got another show before. And I was like, oh, fuck. All right, OK, I'll do it. I was so excited for the show that I plotted out a schedule to watch the entire year's worth of primetime wrestling and wrestling challenge in the build up to because I actually wanted to see be Andre Hilton. I didn't know what show it was on. And I couldn't find out what, what show it was on. So I, I, I plotted out to watch every episode of Prior to Wrestling, and wrestling challenge from January through to the, the 29th of March 1987. I didn't, but I, I, I thought about it. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> I was going to say, there's going to be a there's going to be a very very obvious plot
1: twist at the end of this yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did think to myself, I was like, I could just have it. I don't need to watch every episode. I could just have it on in the background but even then that didn't work. Um, but my expectation, I couldn't fucking wait to watch it. I was foaming at the mouth. It's one of the first WrestleManias I ever kind of had access to that. I do not even think I owned it, but I had the friend who had it and I wouldn't have watched it when it came out because I would have been three. So I definitely wouldn't have watched them. But I think I was probably around about five. I can remember being around for the mega powers exploding at WrestleMania five. So it would have been sometime around then, I expect. I'm not going to lie. I know, obviously knew what Matt's thoughts regarding WrestleMania one were. I assumed they'd be similar when it came to WrestleMania so i was also kind of looking forward to slash dreading matt's thoughts on this pay-per-view as well because i love it so much i've seen it at, i was trying to watch it as unbiased as i possibly can but i, I found that impossible so just to let you know it's probably a nine already <laughs> <laughs> ah,
0: and that, that's wow. without the extra weighting of the 1987 exactly 89 the period. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um i was uh i was looking forward to it yeah definitely i mean look it's I guess it's the show where WrestleMania became WrestleMania. And I would say that for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, the main event, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. So unlike what you got at WrestleMania 1 which was just really a tag team match involving a celebrity I guess similar to the Bad Bunny match that you got
1: a couple of years back in WrestleMania wearing my Bad Bunny t-shirt underneath this fetching jumper on oh, you know. I, bet.
0: I bet which is which was fine but it wasn't the main event of the show whereas this was and then WrestleMania 2 Hulk Hogan versus King Kong King, King Kong Bundy in a match that they had probably a number of times on the house show circuit before and it was now a cage match just to kind of escalate it a bit further um, and they still wanted to do it on the house show circuit after that point Hogan Andre this was genuinely the first time they Fought each other at least during this run of Hogan's time in the WWE. Now, they had had an extensive feud in the WWF in 1980 81, which included the uh, quite famous Shea Stadium show in which Hulk Hogan and Andre faced each other. The main event of that show was in a cage, and that was Bruno San Martino versus Larry Zabisco. But They'd already done all that stuff. So they already had a big feud. But of course, this was a very different company by this point and with a very different fan base. You know, know I just do. I just I (laughs) just watched a lot of stuff. I've watched I've actually watched the Shea Stadium show or at least the three matches that are available from it on the WWE Network. It's interesting you say, how do you know this shit? So if you ask me what had happened seven years ago now. I be, you'd like you'd know or you'd at you'd least have an idea who was on the roster and what yeah. were the major feuds in the WWF at the time. But that would, wasn't the case then. Like in 87, they had a new fan base, effectively, a whole new kind of group of people watching from seven years beforehand. So they'd almost forgotten that at that time, Hogan was the the the, the heel. Andre was the face. It's also worth saying that this is a time when people didn't turn heel and face quite mm. so frequently as they do these days. It wasn't quite so. And understandably so, because ultimately you're changing the constitution of your entire character when you change when you turn heel or you turn face. It shouldn't happen very often. Um, mm. It's actually quite ridiculous that it happens as often as it does these days. So ultimately... This was kind of like the first time where they presented a main event that legitimately was a main event level of WrestleMania caliber match. You know, it was the biggest match in the in the company that they possibly could put on. It was in front of a a stadium crowd, which is the first time they'd done that as part of WrestleMania. And they wouldn't return to it until WrestleMania six. But they did. It was you know for the first time a major, major kind of stadium. It also had other big matches on underneath. So it had Piper's supposed retirement match, it had the big intercontinental title match, which they've also been building to. It was, as I say, the first one that really, even looking back, looking back now, feels like a WrestleMania show. As I think the first two very much trying to establish what hell WrestleMania was going to be. Therefore, I was quite looking forward to it simply because it's it is iconic and it is like that first that establishing moment for what WrestleMania was going to be going forward. So. Talking points. I think what we'll do we'll do, Matt, is we'll start with you, seeing as you've got a limited experience of this show.
2: (laughs) Let's start with you and your talking point from it. Okay. My talking point for at least the period of the show that I've seen um, is gonna be the selling of one Hulk Hogan. Now, it's a topic that we've covered in the past on this show, and it was one that I felt that particularly on this show. Is worth revisiting given just how fucking awesome it is. Little things that, that he did throughout, you know, the, the main event, and not even just the main event match. If you want to go through the, the result in a minute, go for it. But well, Thank, like, thank th- you very much. I will do. Um,
0: <laughs> it is the main event of the show. It is Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant for the World Heavyweight title. It lasts 12 minutes and it ends after Hulk Hogan manages to slam Andre the Giant, then
2: hit the big leg drop and get the pin. Matt, carry on. Little things the Hogan did in this, like when you know, he'd taken a couple of slams from Andre and honest to God, the look on his face... When he took a slam from Andre, was as if he'd been slammed through the ring. And I'm going to sound so over the top here, but all the way to friggin hell. Just the look on his face was just so pain ridden. It was like, you just, you could feel it. And from everything that Andre did to him, like the bear hug that he had him in, which it didn't look like the most snug bear hug in the world, but Hogan's face made it look like that and made it look extremely painful and you could feel it he had the crowd in the palm of his hand and not only that but even in the the sort of you know in the hype to to the match to begin with you know when they were talking um, you know when Hogan had the his shirt ripped off and you know the cross taken off him from Andre and you know Roddy Piper was saying to him you know are you going to fight him at WrestleMania that was quite possibly the best response to a you know agreeing to a match that I've ever seen just the wasn't just a yes it was a yes the most guttural thundering yes that you've ever heard and he just from that to like everything he did he just he was perfect. I would go so far as to say that Hogan was perfect in this match and do you know what? it wasn't the most exciting match in the world you know to, you know move for move but you know like I said for me Hogan Selling just made this thoroughly watchable for me.
0: I was interested to hear what Matt was going to say about that, because uh, for me, Matt, the match I most compare it to, if I'm honest, is Hogan versus The Rock at WrestleMania 18. Because, again, it's not really what they do. It's just how they do it how they've got the crowd in the palm of their hands, how much the crowd are kind of like, oh my God, this is incredible. And it's 12 minutes of pretty basic stuff, nothing too taxing. I mean, the bear hug, you don't really get snug bear hugs. It's just a bear hug and it usually looks a bit rubbish, but it didn't really matter. And I think as a consequence, it's a far better match than the sum of its parts. If you broke it down into its composite bits, you'd be like, yeah, it's, it's a bit rubbish, but actually it's far better than that. Tom. It's this it's
1: a masterclass this much i'm going to use that a few times on this pay-per-view because andre the giant at this stage is immobile basically he mm-hmm. can't do anything he can be it's all he can do to walk around the ring and be, based upon his health issues what he delivers in the ring is exactly what he needs to deliver and all and that happens to be all he can deliver as well um the i think the documentary you're talking about matt is just called andre the giant i think that's just what it's called it was that's made cool. by it was made by hbo i think it was a HBO it was really, it's hbo documentary it's really really good
0: it's a tough title to remember that isn't it
1: it is just tricky. It is tricky. <laughs> But but Matt can't tell the time either, so I'm no. not really not really surprised. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned like the selling Matt, because that's something I picked up on immediately. And and you're right, the the build up to it, the the Piper's pit segment where he gets his he gets his shirt ripped off and 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 he gets his little he picks up his little cross and he's like, why, Andre? Why? It's such an amazing bit of overreacting. And the bit where Hogan go, I made my wife happen to walk through the room, uh, through the, the living room when when that's, this has happened. I said to her, watch this bit watch him sell. And the bit where he goes, yeah, she said to me, I think this is what has formed your entire personality is this segment. <laughs> yeah. The match in itself. Yeah. It's basic. There's not much they can do, but everyone, everything means something. Everything matters in the match. The crowd are so into it. I think he said earlier that they are the, it's the two biggest stars in the company. I'd argue it's the two biggest stars in the business at the time. They're both so over the betrayal and uh, aligning with Bobby Heenan from Andre and the build-up to it makes Andre the ultimate heel, especially based on his size as well. You know, he's Hogan isn't an underdog very often but in this aspect he certainly is. Hogan plays the sympathetic babyface who's been fucked over by someone he considered to be a dear friend and is for large parts of the match just getting absolutely flattened at the beginning of the match he goes for a slam which they've been kind of saying can he slam him and he doesn't Andre flattens him and then kind of Hogan's the rest of the match with the exception of a few minor comebacks is basically Hogan getting the shit kicks out of him and his selling by it is, is absolutely incredible like you said the bear hug spot is a weird one because it's usually always so boring a bear hug it's usually the shittest spot in any match I was watching like, this is amazing. Just the the emotion that Hogan is, because Andre's not exactly the most charismatic man in the ring as well. So not only does Hogan have to carry the match from a kind of moveset standpoint, but he also carries it from an emotive standpoint as well. And the selling in the bear hug in, in in particular is incredible because he is just, he's almost like reaching out into the crowd saying like, help me. I need you to, I need you to help me get out of this. And when he gets out of it and when he hits that slam, it's just incredible he's just slam leg drop done fuck off Andre onto the next one and it's just uh, it's a wonderful match and at the end of it Hogan poses and salutes a giant cardboard cutout of himself which I quite enjoyed as well it's just wonderful a great a great match great main event it, it's 12 minutes long it doesn't feel like that it could have gone on a bit longer I think but I'm glad it didn't.
0: If you haven't woken up in the morning, Tom, and um, saluted your uh, cardboard cutout of yourself, then
1: you haven't lived. Yeah. So
0: I highly recommend it. No, I think I think that's a great breakdown of the match, and it's it's also worth saying that so much much of this was quite original, I suppose, in some ways. I'm not saying what they did, what any of the moves they did, or anything was original, or the way they built the match. But what I mean by original is it wasn't. Three or four years down the line when Hogan was again recreating the slam spot with Earthquake, for example, which is what he would do um, against every major kind of big, big guy. This was kind of like the, the Zenith. If you could slam Andre, then you could slam anyone. So that's why it was seen as such a big kind of achievement when he did it and, and why it had that much drama. Also, Andre hadn't been a heel. So he'd been a like a superstar babyface pretty much his entire career, had toured the world, was the biggest star in the in the world in the in the seventies and most of the early eighties. Until really WWF's national expansion, there wasn't anyone who did rival Andre for absolute kind of stardom across the world. He was the biggest star in Japan, in Europe, everywhere. So to have him then turn heel and kind of go on this run against Hogan and have the two biggest stars as you said Tom at the time in the world I'm sure I mean that's that's what Wrestlemania is that's what Wrestlemania was all we now in we now see Wrestlemania as being it's probably also what we see Wrestlemania as having gotten away from quite a lot in the last five six years I don't really believe that they necessarily put on the biggest match of the year at Wrestlemania anymore which is a bit strange But back then and for a long, long time after this, they would do. And that would be the kind of that would be the model effectively of of WrestleMania. I think it's a really decent match. I think that what, as you say, what they do, they do really well. It matters. It means something. The fans are into it. The best bit for me is the first few seconds when Hogan goes for the slam and Andre comes down on him and he doesn't get the three count, but he thinks he has. And funnily enough, in my mind, before I watched it, I remember that moment and the, what happens after it with Andre kind of looking up at the referee, holding his sort of fingers up at the referee to say, I've got the three. That was longer in my mind than it was actually in reality. It only lasts like five, ten seconds, I think. But I remember it being a whole minute of like him just being like, I got him. I got him. It's over. I got him. Come on, ref. It's, it's done. I've, I've got the three count. But even then, I still thought it was great. And it just, what a great way to start the match. And also, it actually did kind of make you believe then that Hogan was hurt. You know, I think the the, they found a way to going from the start to Hogan's hurt in 30 seconds without it feeling completely inorganic, which I think they do a lot. I've seen a lot in in recent times. I've seen a lot since this time, you know, matches where they kind of almost immediately, within a minute, pretend that both of them are exhausted or both of them are done. And in this case, it felt completely organic. The idea that Hogan had basically gone for something, made a mistake. Andre had almost won the match and now he was in major trouble. And had he not gone for that move, he probably would have been better off not having not gone for it. I just thought that was totally believable. So a really decent main event. Hard to give it huge Ratings, you know, it's hard for me to sort of say I recommend people watch it. I mean, I would, but just from a perspective of, and I'm sure most people who've listened to this have watched it, but if they haven't, it's hard for me to say I would recommend it on the strength of how good it is. But I do think you need to have seen it as a wrestling fan, whatever the
1: case. I couldn't agree more.
0: And Hogan selling, yeah, great staff. I mean, he does carry this match, <laughs> he has to carry this match. Andre can't really go. Tom, what was your what do you want to bring out of this as your talking point?
1: Oh. My talking point, lads. Where do I start? Where do I I start? I I don't know where to start with this. I am going to have to go to Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura on commentary. If I'm uh, in a funk, in a bad mood, I'll put something on between 1985 and 1989 from WWE Network. And the second I hear these two lads, I'm instantly in a better mood. Because not only is there a nostalgia factor, they're both so fucking good as commentators I love the fact that well one they're they're a they've got the classic heel and babyface dynamic although it might at that stage it might not be a classic dynamic it might have been one of the earliest incarnations of it but they they've got the heel and babyface dynamic but they've also got a lot of respect for each other and ad, admiration for each other the characters that they play so they keep they say a lot during the show how much of a pleasure it is for them to be working together on the on the show but what I love about it particularly is that they do get into their little arguments, but there's no what what really what really kills me about people like JBL and and Corey Graves and stuff like that is that they always have to have the last word. They always have to be right, whereas they they will concede to each other. So if a babyface does something slightly heely in one of the matches, then the other one will say, "Well, he shouldn't have done that." Well, like Jesse will say, Well, that's a cheated cheat move. But what what will happen is that um gorilla will say, Well, you know, that's just sometimes what you gotta do. And then the other person will do the exact same thing. If a, a Jesse will do the same thing. If if a heel does something about he's like, You've got to win, it's all about sportsmanship. It's not about sportsmanship, it's about getting the win. But they will like contradict themselves, but do it in such an entertaining way, and they will not always be shouting over each other to try and get their point across it's just a really really nice dynamic of these two on commentary and i just i absolutely love it and like i said just hearing their voices just makes me it makes me happy so that's why those that, that are my talking voices is the commentary of across the entire thing and i will pepper in some thoughts as we go also going back to the main event i think that jesse does a really really good job in conveying the injury to Hogan's back in in the match you know saying I've never seen him in this type of trouble before and they give every match a real a real kind of level of importance as well every match really really means something there's a reference in another tag team match where Jesse mentions that the the team who lose will get a lesser amount of money for losing their match as a result of interference from someone else and it just means that you're like oh okay so that's why they're doing it that's why they're having this match it's not because there's a massive, great personal feud in it. They're doing it because they're making money. And I just I love those sort of little touches to add the layer of authenticity and realism to what you're actually watching. Brilliant.
0: It just it's just a comment that should be, I think, peppered in every now and again by all commentators that about mm. the winner's share of the purse. I just think it just it just offsets all the nonsense about why any match ever Takes place because WWE or AEW, well AEW do actually, but they don't stick to them, so I don't think it really matters. But most other promotions as well don't have rankings. They don't say, oh this, you know, this match is for between the number six and number seven ranking. So that explains why these two have been booked against one another. It's not like they, you know, have a kind of lead table or they have any other reasons for fighting each other other than them just looking like exhibition matches, like oh we're just chucking two people together. So if you can convey the idea that there's a winner's purse, then suddenly he goes, oh, well, I understand why they would take the match now otherwise why, why would they take there's nothing no other reason to take the match is there if basically you take the whole year off and then qualify for the money in the bank and get the money in the bank briefcase you never have to have another match until you cash in your your briefcase do you so why would you it just doesn't make any sense so as long as they can they can put this in there to just offset that idea that this is just nonsense <laughs> then it just makes such a difference and it doesn't take anything that's the thing it just doesn't mm. take a single thing like literally one commentator says it once every couple of weeks and you're, you're grand you, you're, you're absolutely fine I, I will go i will slightly disagree with you on the on the argument side of things because i think not not you're absolutely right in terms of what they do but i think what they do try to do and this is key for me is most of the time gorilla comes out on top of the argument so they will argue back and forth a tiny bit and then gorilla will manage to justify it, even though his justification is often completely weak he will manage to justify it and jesse will then just give up and that is the mark of a great uh great Commentary duo Because as I said before, the babyface is your moral compass. He cannot be proved to be wrong over and over again. Otherwise, you've no reason to cheer for the babyfaces. If the babyface is proved wrong, and his moral compass is shown to be silly and nonsense, then you've got no reason as a viewer to continue to cheer for the babyfaces. And I think... That has has actually impacted pro wrestling a lot in the last 10 years, 15, 20 years. In fact, heel commentators coming out on top of an argument and then everyone going, yeah, why am I cheering this baby face? He's an idiot for following the rules. That's ridiculous. I should just follow. I should just chant for the heel. And now everyone just chants for whoever they want, really. So I think that's that's what's so strong about it for me is that they get that absolutely bang on occasionally jesse will win the argument just occasionally but nearly all nearly all the time monsoon comes out on top of the the kind of back and forth between them and that's right that's what should happen that's exactly what should happen i will say monsoon as a commentator is a little bit repetitive and a little bit can be a little bit annoying he's got so many catchphrases oh and that, give
1: me a break
0: <laughs> and over time they do become a bit grating because he uses every single one of them every single show but i i I know but i also love i do think jesse ventura is actually brilliant i do think he's an absolutely brilliant color commentator so in some ways it doesn't really matter that some of monsoon's
1: weaknesses really that was a real pearl harbor job you just gave on gorilla then
2: I was gonna say there was a good example of them in the uh the jake roberts match um i, I think it was jake was down on the outside or something uh, and alice cooper was trying to you know help him get back up and you know jesse was all over him saying oh you know he you know he shouldn't be doing that it's illegal it's this it's that and then you know gurina was almost like yeah okay you kind of got a point there but morally he's doing the right thing and so yeah you know i i, I see you I mean they, they they are they are um the both of them are a really good pair and you know for particularly for me for. Because, again, because I, I didn't know that much about this show going in. So, you know, that they were quite useful and quite helpful in, in helping me understand, you know, certain stuff about the matches, about, the, you know, the, the people in it. So, they, yeah, they were really helpful, i got to be honest, the the pair of them. And, and Jesse in particular, I really do like.
0: If only they could have watched
2: the first half of the show for you, Matt. <laughs> if, if, if only I, I could have saw that come in.
1: I uh, also, the other thing that I love that um that especially um Jesse does as well is that he acknowledges the strengths of the babyfaces in order to further amplify how good the heels are. So he will say, like, listen, I'm not taking anything away from Hulk Hogan. He's been a great champion. But this is Andre the Giant we're talking about. He's never faced him before. He's never done anything like this. And that I also love as well is the fact they will give both of them will acknowledge that the wrestlers that they are rooting against are really good rather than just calling them bums or whatever. You know, they, they do it as, in a, as a way to big up the person that they want to win the match.
0: There's nothing, there's no moment at which these commentators belittle any mm. of the acts other than the ones who are supposed to be belittled, like Danny yeah. Davis or Bobby Heenan occasionally or Jimmy Hart, for example. Slick. They, yeah, they're not They're not belittling the acts that the company are relying on to make money at any point or the people that they are relying on putting over the people who are going to make money. You know, they don't, they don't undercut anybody. And that's another really, really key one, because... That's just a horrific habit that they've got into the you know, to, into doing over the last sort of again ten years or so, which I find just stupid to be honest. I don't really understand it. Good stuff. No, I like that. Grilla Monsoon, Jesse Ventura. We've got a few more WrestleManias of them yet to come, so oh. uh, all good. So my talking point, I think I'm going to go with the celebrities in this one. Mm. going go with the celebrities. I think the reason is is because again, I would say this is where WrestleMania three really differs itself from Wrestlemania's one and two so Wrestlemania one obviously before the main event of Wrestlemania one there is a good half an hour of celebrity stuff you could call it nonsense me and old man quite enjoyed it but there was a load of it it was like Liberace and then the can can and Muhammad Ali and Billy Martin and then Brody Piper coming out with his bagpipers and and then Mr. T coming out and all of that stuff There was loads and loads and loads of celebrities. They also, WrestleMania 2, they went, they doubled down on that. They were like, no, let's fucking just throw even more in. So they had a special guest announcer, referee, timekeeper for three matches on that show. They also had the NFL players in the Battle Royal. They had Mr. T in the boxing match. They had um, Ozzy Osbourne at ringside for the British Bulldogs versus the Dream Team. They just doubled down. They were like, nah, we're going to throw... A million celebrities at this and hope it works. And I think the overall lack of success that WrestleMania 2 managed. Maybe taught, thought they thought, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll scale back a little bit for WrestleMania 3. So they did have some. They did have some celebrities here. They had Mary Hart and they had Bob Uecker who are kind of sprinkled throughout the show, not just not just at one specific point. And I think Alice Cooper is obviously, as you've already mentioned there, with Jake Roberts. But that's it. That is their fill of celebrities for the show. Oh, and of course, Aretha Franklin, who does America the Beautiful. That's it. That's all they've got. And actually, Mary Hart and Bob Uecker add something to this show Mm. which i did not expect watching it this time around so they start off you see them at the very beginning of the show they're with gorilla monsoon and and jesse ventura they're introducing the show with them mary Hart does an interview at one point bob Uecker joins them for commentary on one match mary Hart joins them on commentary for another match then they are both the timekeeper and the announcers for the main event but bob Uecker actually has the verbal dexterity and Mm. charisma to pull it off like he's not bad at it or don't get me wrong he's not donnie Wahlberg at wrestlemania 10 but he is a damn good i I think he's a damn fine replacement if you've got to have a special guest celebrity ring announcer this is the kind of end of the scale you want And also seems to know seems to know a bit about it like he didn't it wasn't like he was reading off cue cards like burt reynolds did at wrestlemania 10 he seems to know what's going on and i just thought they've done something here which is realize that the celebrities can add something but you've got to be very selective you've got to be careful about who they are you commented i think matt on the fact that some of the celebrities who were commented on wrestlemania 2 clearly didn't have a clue what was going on didn't know who the people were undercut the whole thing because they just didn't know what was going on these two seemed to have an idea of what was going on they seem to have been briefed and they had the requisite charisma to pull off their role within the within the show and it didn't therefore overburden the show so wrestling, again Wrestlemania 2 I think the wrestling action certainly I said in the first half of the show there are I think there's something like 25 minutes of wrestling for the first hour and a half of of the show here there's a lot more wrestling on overall there's just a lot more wrestling and they haven't got anywhere near as many celebrity moments which I think it's much much improved and as I said
1: the celebrities they did use are really decent. We saw uh, Bob Muker get inducted into the Hall of Fame. We did. I agree with you 100%. What I liked about it is they both show real enthusiasm for it. There's none of this knowing, like, oh, looking at the camera, can I wait? They're both all into it especially Mary Hart and, and Bob Bucher. Alice Cooper doesn't really add much, to personalist. No. But um those two in particular are good. I, I really enjoyed Bob on commentary because he gets in he gets into it, doesn't he? He probably gets stuck into into it and like has genuine discussions about the match that's happening with, with Gorilla. And they add add a, a lot to it. Like you said, sprinkle through different roles, doing different things. I just thought it was great. And I don't know, we'll probably touch on it later, but Aretha Franklin to America the Beautiful is just Oh that is wonderful <laughs> yes.
2: the less sort of celebrity i mean for me that the you know less is more you know you you don't need to have them you know like like we said, like the first two wrestlemanias involved in almost everything um you know the the ones that they had in this they knew you know like we said they, they knew their role, whether it was they were briefed or they knew. They seemed to enjoy themselves. They knew what they were doing, which is exactly what we want. There's nothing worse than a celebrity who's just there for the sake of it. And you you can tell, you know, it, it comes across as extremely, I don't want to say fake, but yeah, i say fake. It comes across <laughs> as just really disingenuous and, you know, like they're there for a paycheck. and nah, But, you know, th- these guys knew whether they were there. And it was good. It was good involvement. You know, that, that's exactly what you want from your celebrities in wrestling.
0: But it's a weird thing in it, celebrities in wrestling, because I always imagined. I remember when WCW brought in like Kiss and Megadeth to perform on Nitro in the in 1999. So this was, and I think this is a. A concept that's not always understood especially if you're a bit younger and you haven't gone through a cycle of it where basically a band like kiss are probably in the 2000s went through a little bit of a revival in terms of coolness like they were probably like oh these are like classic rockers yeah in the 90s, they were just really lame. They were just ultra lame. They were just like, oh, it's the fucking old blokes that your dad listened to. What a bunch of dickheads.
1: Well, they'd taken um, the makeup off as well at that point.
0: I, d- I don't know about that. But ultimately, they were just they were just a bunch of old blokes that you were like, fuck off. This is what my dad liked. Get them off. Like, and, and Megadeth weren't any different. They were just a hairband which, in, in a, an era which no longer cared about hairbands. Like it moved on. And I never understood why... Why anyone thought there was value in having Kiss or Megadeth perform on Nitro? Even if, even if they were really cool, are people really going to go watch a wrestling show just to see Kiss or Megadeth play a song? I can't imagine anyone would. I can't imagine that anyone's thinking that, you know, I can't imagine unless you're an ultra like super hardcore Kiss fan, why would you tune into Nitro to watch Kiss?
1: It's not necessarily comparable. A couple of weeks ago, On AEW, Daniel Garcia was brought out to the ring by a rapper I very much like called Westside Gun, uh, who accompanied him to the ring whilst performing uh, his song Dr. Birds. And I, I did seek that out to watch it. But I guess the difference is I didn't watch AEW, the whole show, to watch that. I found it on Twitter or something like that. So I guess to some extent it might give you a little bit in these days, it might give you a little bit more kind of online engagement and stuff like that. But in terms of back in the 90s or early 2000s, when there weren't platforms like Twitter and YouTube where you could just find something, watch it and be like, oh, that's enough. I don't think I don't think a performance from Westside Gun didn't make me want to sit there and watch an entire two hour wrestling show, I guess is is my point.
0: And you're a wrestling fan Mm. as well. If Westside Gun was going to appear on, I don't know, Made in Chelsea or something. I mean, (laughs) what what are the chances you'd seek that out to watch it or even forget seeking out? What are the chance you'd watch that episode of made in Chelsea just to see Westlake gun? I mean, it's, it's not a very good example, but <laughs> I'm just trying to find something that you might not watch. I don't know. I, I think I might watch it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you're just a big fan of Westlake gun, but I you know, again, I think, I think if unless you're an absolute hardcore fan, a hardcore nut of a really bit of an artist, I can't see. What, and this might be just an extension of the thing that we've spoken about format where I'm like, why would anyone pay to watch anyone's anyone just to, to meet someone? Like I just don't, I'm not, I'm not a kind of, I don't have icons. You know, I don't, I don't go mad for people. Apart from, apart from, if he was still alive, Rick Mel, there is oh. legitimately hardly anyone famous that I would, like, desperate to meet. Like, I just can't, um, I can't see why anyone
1: cares. What about Bradley Whitford? Yeah, I don't know. Martin yeah. Sheen?
0: Yeah. It's just not that attractive a proposition for me to watch well,
1: What if they were in character?
0: In as, car- if if, if as, it was, ju- yeah, if it was Josiah Bartlett, <laughs> Jed and, yeah. and,
1: jo- and Josh, yeah, and yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, Joshua Lyman, then yes, maybe I would, I would be interested. But yeah, That's I mean, sure what I-, I can do. <laughs> but I just think, um, yeah, I just don't get it, and I think that's, and this is probably an extension of it. It's just me like, if someone I really liked happened to be on a show that I didn't like, I'd be like, so what? Good for them. No, no problem with it. I'm not angry with them, but I just don't get why I would tune in to watch it. Matt, maybe you can come with a perspective on this.
2: Yeah, that's interesting, because if um, I mean, like, here's an example. Um, Becky Lynch was uh, what show did she guest on? She guest starred on Billions. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago now or whatever. And I, I didn't really watch Billions that much at the time. But I was like, oh, I like Becky Lynch. Somebody, you know, like a friend of mine was telling me to watch Billions. I was like, hey, I'll go on my way to watch it. And I was like, oh, cool, you know, Becky Lynch on Billions, that's cool. So, yeah, like if, if somebody, you know, if they say like a wrestler is going to guest star in something, I mean, I, I suppose I I probably would go up my way just, just to see it, just just to see the appearance. But I mean, after that, then that, that'd probably be it. But I, I'm not sure if either of you guys remember this, but one of the one of the, the strangest sort of celebrity involvements in wrestling, which. To this day, it just baffles the hell out of me. I don't remember from WrestleMania 19. It was the Miller Lite Catfight Girls. Oh yeah, and that was just and like and I actually remember them being relatively heavily promoted as well. I'm sure they were involved in like some Super Bowl commercial or something. So it was probably just trying to milk whatever 15 minutes of fame they could get out of that. But you know, the the fact that they dedicated a fair bit. Of TV time to them, you know. At WrestleMania, they they, they give them. I say they give them a match. There was, there was some form of shenanigans, which ended up involving a match, and they give them quite a fair bit of time. Considering that same WrestleMania, a Matt Hardy Rey Mysterio match had criminally no time, and they you know they dedicated it to these instead, and it, it was one of the oddest celebrity involvements I've ever seen. And yeah, like I said, it's yeah, you have got to know how to use your celebrities, and that definitely wasn't a way to do it. See, I remember us, we've covered WrestleMania 19 on this show. We've already covered it.
0: And um, I remember us talking about that. And actually, I thought we, we all agreed that the, they actually did add something to the show. It was just a bit of variety. I think the point is, is Matt. Again, you are very much a person who just wants wrestling, 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 wall to wall for three hours and bore the shit out of everyone. But we <laughs> are all me, old man, and Tom are all very much a bit different to that. We want a little bit of a variety show, and they offered a little bit of variety. They were quite charismatic, as we remembered, they were quite good in their roles. We didn't particularly like the way the environment in which they were used, because it was very much a titillation kind of. Let's you know give the dads who don't actually like wrestling something to enjoy whilst their teenage son is watching but we did think that they were actually quite well used in terms of in line with their ability ultimately they were they were quite charismatic relatively fun and inoffensive in terms of what they did but again i agree though you wouldn't tune in specifically to see them i think i get the sense that what the reason they want the celebrities is not necessarily to draw anybody additionally in although i think that's sometimes the case depends who it is but i think they just want it to feel like a big thing the investment in celebrities is in my opinion investment in the idea that wrestlemania matters that it's an event that it's an attraction much like the super bowl or the oscars or you know whatever something out there they want it to feel like a a happening forget the rest of the year but wrestlemania is this moment that even non-wrestling fans can enjoy. But as I say, there are just some times where I'm like, Does it doesn't make sense. Like, Why would you put, why have you gone out of your way to get this particular person, spend loads of money, and then put them on screen for people to watch you who aren't going to tune in? But as I said, it's likely because I just don't, like for example, the, there have been occasionally wrestlers on like, whatever, the Good Morning Britain or, or GMTV prior to that. I never would stay, no, I would, I would never watch it. Like, I, why would anyone watch it? It was a wrestling fan. But yeah, I just, but Matt, see, this is my point. This is why I'm asking you, because as I said, there's obviously a lot more of a, you are a lot more kind of into the people than I am. And I just don't get that. I just do not understand it. It's completely outside of my own psyche to be, to care. Like, I, why do I want to watch Triple H talk to Lorraine? I
2: just don't. I just know, there's no part of me that gives a fuck. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's just something about seeing, like, the, the guys that you like, you know, the guys and the girls you like on TV, just just see them be involved in something that, you know, that, I, I don't know, they, that's more more local to you, I suppose. I, I don't know. Like, it, it is, like, a lot of the time it, it is quite cringe. Honest to God. I mean, the amount of times I, I've seen some of these interviews, and it's, you know, it's almost as if they, they're trying to say, you know, wrestling's not real, wink, wink. You know, still, you know, in 2022, it's ridiculous. But yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's it's, it's fascinating. Oh,
0: I, see, I, I, just see. Don't, I just don't get it. I, I, even if it was cringe, it's not about that. It's not about that it's not going to be cool or it's going to be cringe or whatever.
1: I just don't get it. I just Why Why do I care? I think there's something to be said to see someone uh, you're familiar with in a different setting. Do you know what I mean? I think that 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 kind of holds a little bit. Like, I dig it wrong, I am I wouldn't watch. Triple H beat being interviewed by Lorraine, but I think there is something to be said about seeing so like, oh yeah, you're seeing something that you're really familiar with in an unfamiliar setting, and I always find it quite amusing when you see these things and you see how fucking massive everyone is. Is off. for no other reason, it's quite a novelty seeing seeing like yeah, someone who you don't necessarily say you, you think of like I don't know Brat Hart, for example. I, I'm always thinking about Brat Hart, but um, if you think of Brat Hart, and you're like, well, he was in terms of like uh, wrestlers, he was on the smaller side of things. He was still a decent size, and then you see him. For I can rock up on an episode of Lonesome Dove or whatever it was called, that show that he did. And you see how gargantuan he is compared to everyone. It's always just quite a nice, tiny reminder that all these people are absolutely massive as well, which I find quite amusing seeing them in different different contexts anyway. But like I said, uh, that's that's my... I'm not a huge person for watching, you know, specifically wrestlers in, in things outside of wrestling. But it is just a, a nice reminder every now and again of how huge everyone is.
0: So what we'll do now, we're not going to... I'm not going to quite go to break yet because we're still less than an hour in. We will go from the start of the show, but Matt, I'm going to keep you on board. You're going to have to listen to it, all right? You're just going to have to listen to it. Um, and you can contribute as and when you think there's something you can even possibly say. Beginning with the fact that the WrestleMania 3 begins with the same music intro oh, as WrestleMania 2. It's the same one, which I was saxophone. talking saxophone.
1: Yeah. yeah. it's beautiful, isn't it?
0: <laughs> it's one of the best thing of wrestlemania 2 it was you know what it is supermarket suite type music you're right actually it is a little bit but it's it's in it's in its place this isn't like early 2000s and dale with his uh check it out <laughs> you know it's it's the middle of the 80s in fairness it's it's a bit different as it should be yeah yeah totally then we get the big wide shot of the Pontiac Silverdome, Vince in the ring, welcomes the crowd to WrestleMania 3 and another quite iconic thing that they've used, I'm sure, time and again since then.
1: Fucking like a big cunt of a stadium, isn't it?
0: Oh, it's a bit. It's a big, I mean, I know, I know. There's a there's a,
1: there's a. there's a. There's a lot of kind of like of arguments out there about the actual um, attendance, whether it was seventy-eight thousand, whether it was ninety-three, or somewhere in between. But what we can say is, it is a fucking big kind of a stadium, and it's, it's full big. to the brim by the look of it. You don't see many. There's obviously a couple of taped-off areas, which they would have done at that point, like where the hard cameras and towards the back at the end of like the ramp. But it looks full.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, you're never going to know. You're never going to know if it was 78,000, 93,000, or anything in between. You'll never know, for real. And as I said, I think when we talked about it as part of our SummerSlam 92 review, Bristol Rovers pretend that their their attendance is smaller or larger, depending on what matters to them at that time. Mm. Everyone does it.
1: Yeah, On Vince in the ring, his chest yeah. is so far puffed out. He looks like a man who's... He's gone down he's on his way to the pub and he's just found fifty quid on the floor. And he's like, Fucking yes. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like that's that's what he is. Like he is and fair play to him, like, he, he's got every right to be fucking proud of that, of that spectacle. Nothing's even happened yet. I don't even know if there are any dark matches on the card. I don't think there are. Yeah. Like, nothing's even happened yet. He comes in and says, welcome to WrestleMania 3. Oh, it's amazing. I always find it really strange that Vince Man was there when I first started watching it, going back to, like, my five-year-old self. Be like, the fuck's this guy? Because I, um, I only had access to, I didn't have Sky or anything, so I only had access to, like, wrestling videos, so it was always, like, I never heard him on commentary, you know, because he would have been on, like, Superstars or Wrestling Challenge or Saturday Night's Main Event doing commentary with Jesse, but he was, he was the nobody to me, so I was like, who the fuck is this prick? at the beginning but knowing obviously him being the owner and the kind of mastermind behind it all makes so much more sense watching it from this perspective when you're a bit older
0: well also they the fans at the time would have known he was he was their mate he
1: was still their lead commentator yeah soon did the did the pay-per-views
0: yeah he looks massive yeah uh, he's very very excited and then he introduces Aretha Franklin in the oh. trademark enthusiastic way that only Vince truly can. He yeah. like properly like makes his voice all gravelly and as if he's trying to pull up roots from the ground. Introduces yeah. Aretha Franklin, the and- Queen of Soul. There you go. And she yeah. then does America the Beautiful with she's she's on the piano and singing. And then there are a trio of, uh, of singers as well with her on this particular version, which Matt you didn't see, but you will have heard at the end of the show if you watched to the end of the show, because there's a there's a highlight package and over the top of the highlight package is Aretha Franklin <laughs> singing it. See so even then you should have stayed to the end because you've been able <laughs> to, <laughs> to add a little bit of extra. You're you're an idiot. How many
1: times have I gonna tell you stay till the end? Always, always. Even if you think it's just gonna be Hulk sweaty Hulk Hogan posing, there's gonna be something. There's gonna be something to talk about. The the um, second that the hand Slaps the mat for
2: a three count, and the referee calls it off. That's it. It's done. I don't, Matt, I don't think you're
0: a wrestling fan. I, I don't think you like wrestling. I think you just like MMA, and I just think you should just avoid wrestling. You don't
1: like it. <laughs> I've said this before. The worst thing about wrestling is actually the wrestling. <laughs> Everything else in between, both the pomp and ceremony, the, the showmanship, the the story building. thats all the best bit. The wrestling's the worst part.
0: <laughs> By the way, I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but I also. Believe that everything is the best bit.
1: Watch it all. <laughs> um, Aretha singing "America the Beautiful" is it should be Aretha the beautiful because <laughs> it is it is absolutely lovely. It's definitely definitely the best version of America the Beautiful they've had apart from the DX band at WrestleMania 14. I think we can all agree it's a magnificent version of America the Beautiful, a new metal version of America the Beautiful that nobody likes and people boo. Tremendous. Was it, was-
0: was it even new metal? I'm, I'm not even sure it was new metal. I think it was a little bit like something else. I don't, I don't really know what to call it. DX Band are a bit weird, and I'm not really sure yeah. what it was.
1: I would have liked an additional Aretha Franklin medley, I think. Would have been nice. Like if they did a bit of like say a little prayer, respect, and then think with the Blues Brothers, they could have come out as well. That would <laughs> have been lovely because it was after the Blues Brothers came out in like 1980, I think. So, you know, I mean, it might have been a bit of a dated reference, I suppose. <laughs> But uh, still, that would have been amazing.
0: Not Get... that dated, because it had only just come out on VHS, I expect.
1: That's probably, yeah, there was a big gap on there between back in the day. Um, I seem to remember waiting for fucking... I reckon years for Terminator 2 to come out on video. I remember, I seem to remember waiting years for it. What you also got, obviously, you get the uh, the performance from Aretha Franklin. And then you get a lovely, uh, uh, some footage of lots of working class people. Or workers, blue collar workers. Blue collar
0: workers, yeah. In um, the industry.
1: Yeah, I, I especially like this a bit where they're really camp traffic warden. In the middle of New York City, I think. Kind of waving people on. There's some blokes pouring concrete. Some factory workers. And an incredibly hunky guy. Standing on a girder in a skyscraper with no shirt off. With new shirt on no oh, shirt off your new shirt off you haven't even got a shirt yeah it's uh it's wonderful God god wrestlemania 3
0: i was waiting for matt's comment and then realized he can't can't comment it's got nothing it's got nothing <laughs>
2: ah, that's, that's just why i'm here just to have this shit abused out of me for the next yeah. however long
0: definitely, definitely definitely enjoy listeners so um after that gorilla monsoon and jesse ventura are high up in the stadium, very high up, so mm. nowhere near the ring here with Mary Hart and Bob Uecker. Mary Hart says that she can tell. Jesse is pumped for this. Standing so close, you can tell a lot of things.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he's got a tremendous snakeskin outfit on as well. Yeah, which I love, which about halfway through, he changes into a Wrestlemania 3 t-shirt I think it probably got a bit too hot or a bit uh, maybe scared of snakes like me and was like ugh, <laughs> every time he looked at his arm he panicked interesting story about my fear of snakes actually, I think it was about two or three years ago, A New Year's Day I remember it very well, walking uh, walking just down around the road from where I live and I saw a snake out of the corner of my eye and I absolutely shit myself, threw myself behind my wife um, and <laughs> was like ugh, that turns out it was just a marrow on the wall <laughs> <laughs>
0: well don't worry tom because now you've got your daughter as well to hide behind. exactly <laughs> eat her <laughs> i like this was funny the mary Hart comment was quite an indicative of a couple of things that were said during the show for example later on during the six-man tag match uh, bob uecker says i think there's a lot of beaver all over this place <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of times that that's the kind of thing that I think I think you should add in for the for the dads. That's the kind of stuff. A bit, bit of smut, yeah. but under the radar smut. That's a bit, I've of got, smut. bit of under the radar smut is lovely. Uh, and I think that's far better than having, like, you know, scanty to the cloud women basically just do that. And that's all they do. It's like, it's like a Pixar film.
1: Every a wholesome family yeah. film. Every now and again, there's a boner joke in there or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Something a bit, bit for the adults that no one else would get. Perfect. So the opener is the Can-Am connection versus Don Morocco and Bob Orton Jr. in a match that goes for five and a half minutes. This one ends when Martel hits a crossbody as he comes off the the rope and gets the pin on. I'm not sure who can't remember who. Martel looks delighted with this victory. He looks absolutely ecstatic and the fans respond well. Tom, I guess I should go to
1: you. Yeah. First of all you've forgotten to mention that obviously the Fink is the ring announcer. Again another check for this pay-per-view <laughs> is the Fink. This match is really is quite funny. It's really really short. It's it's seemingly quite quick. Um and it's got all the hallmarks of your classic WWE or WWF tag match. Initial strength from the from the bigger heels technical babyface kind of overcomes that. Heels cheat to get an advantage, hot tag, melee involving F1 and then a double-team win. And that's basically how the match ends. It's really it's really quick, but it's your, your kind of run-of-the-mill tag match. I didn't realise that Cowboy Bob Orton was also ace Cowboy Bob Orton. So he's got two nicknames.
0: Were you not on the episode where I basically went through all of Bob Orton Jr.'s nicknames over and over again on the same episode. I,
1: did remember. I think it yeah.
0: must have been Saturday Night's Main Event 5 and I think Matt and old man were on it with me and I was like... Uh, I, I There's another one as well. He had another name because he was in a boxing match so they were like, oh, it's the ace. I can't remember what it was now. But I was like, oh, ace cowboy, bruiser, Bob Orton, whatever. <laughs> I can't remember. And I said it every single time I I spoke about him. So
1: yeah, it is, but this this match is, is is quite fun. I quite enjoyed it. The the hot tag for Rick Martell is is tremendous. The crowd is so into it, and Rick Martel is such a. It's so funny because the majority of my my knowledge of Rick Martel is him as the model. The heel, but he spent the majority of his career, pretty, all of it up until that point, as a baby face. And he's such a tremendous white meat babyface. Not the best white meat baby face on the show. We'll come to that later. But um, he is just, he's amazing. Tom Zenk plays his part really well. Don Morocco is fucking huge. Like, he looks like he's about to burst at any moment. But it is it is a really, really fun match, and it kind of just gets the it gets the ball rolling. The crowd is so fucking hot as well. They're so hot for this match right at the beginning. It just sets the tone for the rest of the show. Really like this match.
0: There was a there was a pay dispute with Tom Zink, which is why Tom Zink left later in 1987 and was replaced by Tito Santana, and then that's when Rick Martel and Tito became strike force. And in fairness, Tito prior to this was actually a big single star, and the reason they were willing to sacrifice him as a single star and point-minute tag team was because they had planned for the Can-Am connection to be the top babyface tag team in the company. So Zenk probably made quite a big, big mistake. Mm. Obviously, we don't know what WWF were trying to do in terms of his contract. They may have been really trying to lowball him, but still. Also, Don Morocco, he would continue to try and stay large for most of his wrestling career. And... um. He looks a little bit worse for wear if you watch some of the early ECW stuff that's available on the network from, like, 93. Um, he's in, he's one of their kind of early stars, and he's got a very, very large beer belly by this point. Lovely. <laughs> so he's quite muscular, but still, but just got a huge belly with it. He's got like oh, Sheik.
1: Yeah, Sheik's got a bit of a gut as well, hasn't he? Worse, really
0: worse than that. Worse than the Sheik. But, yes, yeah, similar. Similar idea.
1: Did you notice that Gorilla calls Tom Zenk the excellence of execution?
0: Yes, Well, this brings up a very interesting thing here. So yesterday, as we're recording this, uh, I retweeted something that somebody else had said. Basically, someone had sort of put out a tweet saying, oh, things that you didn't realize until very recently, recently about wrestling. And uh, somebody called Matt Harris. I don't know who he is, said, um, how about the excellence of execution? Because he's a hitman. Like three, three days ago, I realized this watching an old Boston oh Garden God. show. Yeah. And um, I thought, wow, well, well. And so I tweeted it saying um, we were today years old when we realized this. But then someone, I think it was uh, Daniel Emanuel, regular listener. Shout out to Dan. Um, sort of said well that wasn't why because Gorilla Monsoon used to call people excellence of execution quite regularly and he did in fairness anyone who was a decent technical wrestler Mm. Gorilla Monsoon called them that but it stuck in the case of Bret Hart and I can only assume that they realized the connection as well and thought well just stick with this as a thing Mm. excellence of execution it fits with the hitman it fits with the sharpshooter all good
1: I do I've never even thought about that either no the sharpshooter
0: No, no, me neither. But I was
2: like, whoa, crazy. Oh, he the best in this.
0: So many levels.
2: I know. <laughs> okay, now I'm gonna try him No, he's not again. I think I think we got to the
0: point, Matt, where um becoming untenable here. You've gotta you're gonna have to start redeeming yourself very quickly. Do you know what
2: I i particularly over the last couple of weeks, I've almost I, I've I've accepted your guy's love of Bret Hart, right, and I'll admit that he's he's good, but I'm really starting to lose my shit. With how ridiculously over the top some of the stuff coming in, I just I can't take it anymore. He's not the best there is. He's not the best there ever was, <laughs> and he's sure as shit isn't the best there ever will be. And that's me snapping on the subject. I can't do it anymore.
1: I I'm not gonna spend the time picking apart where Matt is entirely wrong. <laughs> but it's, I, can't, it's,
2: I can't do it anymore it is, it, is, it, is,
1: it, is, it is an opinion I think it's a shocking opinion but the, the thing that you need that, that does sometimes get lost in this whole thing is that to, it's like if you go back and watch minute. my wife uh, has never really watched Back to the Future, she could go back and watch it and think yeah it's a decent film but she's not going to feel the okay. same way about it that I do because it is a film that I grew up loving. The same thing applies to watching wrestling that you don't have any emotional attachment to. I've got a great emotional attachment for Bret Hart because he, as I was growing up, he was the the consistent. His almost his trajectory kind of goes along with me growing up from tag team to intercontinental to champion. And I saw him have all these magnificent moments. I don't think anybody can dispute the man's technical ability and, and his quality as a wrestler. But you, but if you don't have that emotional attachment, then you're obviously not going to feel as strongly towards him as, as that side. The thing that I find about Brat Hart matches is that I find they get better with every match. You can watch it and you'll find something new in it because he was that far ahead of everyone else but this, we can agree to disagree with this one but I I genuinely I, I find that I find that straight baffling <laughs> but I genuinely, genuinely do but there we go that's that's what
0: I think that's... I think the thing is is that maybe I think what what the what's happened first of all let's make it clear as I have done before Matt Tom has loved Bret Hart pretty much his entire life In the same way as anyone would, he is perhaps a little over the top in his praise sometimes. And I think sometimes you listen to perhaps the group and pull out the stuff Tom's saying and think it's indicative of the overall group. I think where myself and old man in the past and possibly Stephen as well, because I know Stephen's a massive fan of Bret Hart too. Perhaps where we would, we were a little bit less over the top, but we still do wax lyrical about him because we do genuinely believe he is one of, if not the best of all time. I think Matt's response, and I get this all the time, I, as you know, with like my kind of hatred of Chris Jericho last year and this year Edge, is the kind of opposite reaction to them because of the way everybody else goes on about how good they are. And I think that's probably what Matt is experiencing right now. And therefore, he's gone over the top in his dislike for Bret Hart <laughs> in response to the way we have been in terms of the
2: positivity about Bret Is that is that a fair... Sit fair summary of where we are with it, Matt. I'd, I'd probably say that that's particularly fair. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the amount I've seen on on Twitter lately as well, and just I I quite like Goldberg. I'm just I'm just sick of and like I don't and to be fair, I don't think this is Brett's fault specifically, but people keep asking him about Goldberg all the bloody time, and they just because they just want him to bitch about him, and he keeps getting asked about it, and it drives me nuts. Because it's almost on a daily basis over the last couple of weeks, you see the headline for it. In fairness to Brett as well, in fairness to
0: everybody, in fairness, Brett is a little mark. He's a mark for himself completely. Mm. Like he's a total mark for himself. There is no denying it. He absolutely does believe he is the best and takes himself extremely seriously. But we aren't talking about his personality.
1: No, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think he covers himself in glory a lot. There's a interview or a podcast with Bret Hart on. I generally will not listen to it, despite the fact that he's my favourite of all time, because I don't I don't particularly like him. <laughs> I don't think he's a particularly good bloke, but it's it's his performance as a wrestler that I adore and the character that he played. And-, and this is my point about not
0: meeting people. So I like a lot of what people do, but I know most of them are complete dickheads. Like, I know most of the people that I, I admire as talented people are not going to be people I actually like as individuals. And I so I don't want to meet them because it will
1: just ruin what it is that makes them so good. The other thing that I wanted to quickly talk about on the Bret Hart thing, and I can understand how Matt would feel that it's rammed down the throat as well, is that people like FTR, CM Punk, people like that are always going on about always going on about him, how, how good he is. Then you get the people who are massive fans of those wrestlers then doing the same thing as well. So it's almost like a snowball effect if you will, like, the, the, you look at, like, FDR. there's no escaping how much of an influence Brat has had on them, so they even, it's even their short, their trunks at the moment have got, like, the heart, like, the skull on the back, or their names, like, written on the back in, in a similar font, and then as a result, like like I said, those fan, the fans of those wrestlers start jumping to the same points as well and saying the same thing. So I could understand if there's someone that you're not massively familiar with and everyone's saying how amazing they are all the time. I can understand how that would be great because I do the same thing about other things. I refuse to watch you Between Us for years. Because everyone liked it so yeah. much. Fuck. Yeah, because everyone liked it. I watched it, loved it. So, you know, yeah. you'll you'll come to Brett in your own time, Matt. Don't worry about it. You will. He's too, <laughs> I, I, he's too I, good to not.
0: I honestly think you will, Matt. I, do, I really do. Like, as genuinely everybody does in the end. And I think what's happened is really interesting. In the last couple of years, Brett's stock amongst wrestling fans has gone up massively. I think, give it five years ago, mm. there was not this swell of, oh, my God, Brett is the best ever. It just was. It wasn't there,
1: and I think much like it, it always any, was here, mate. In this, yeah, case, I know. Always. But there was
0: a lot of people. There wasn't a lot of people going, "Oh, Brett's the best ever." And I think just like anything, the trend of what was good in the past changes again. It goes back to what I was saying with Kiss. Kiss were lame in the nineties, and then in the two thousand, they kind of became retro and kind of cool. But in the period between being retro and cool and being stars, they were fucking lame and no one thought and they were really uncool. And that happens for lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of things. In the 90s, there was a massive Beatles revival, humongous Beatles revival in this country. In the 70s and 80s, a lot of people consider them to be lame because they were no longer popular. They were no longer the in thing. There is a transition period and not not everyone gets to the end of that. Brett, I think, did take a little bit longer to get to that point because wrestling in the in the 2000s became much more in line with Shawn Michaels' style compared to perhaps Bret's style. And what's happened over time is that people have kind of got, got a bit fed up of the Shawn Michaels style because it's what everyone fucking does. And they're now looking at what else was there and there's Bret. And he's got a whole new different style uh, that I think is unique. We talked about that before. That I just don't think there's anyone who does what he does. So then it becomes kind of cool and interesting and it gets almost redefined in people's heads, what is good and what's bad. Maybe you'll never come around to Bret Hart being one of the best. I don't know. But the point is, is that ultimately I can completely understand where you're coming from, because it's exactly how I In it fun, it's funny. Actually, Matt, when I see your tweets online nearly every single one of your tweets makes me react in that way so the other day you put up the other day you put up a tweet about um linkin park hybrid theory and i was like and i was like i actually like hybrid theory by Linkin park i think it's a good album i think it's you know it's a bit new metal for backstreet boys fans but it's it's good it's a good album it's a good it's a good album but the fact that you were like oh it it modeled my entire musical taste i was like fucking hell ain't that good mate fucking hell it's it's an all right decent little album from about 20 years ago that was very much of his time and is extremely dated now but uh, that was my reaction i was like i want to tell you that it's rubbish even though i don't think it is because of the fact that you were so in on it if you see what i mean that was my first one
1: how did we end up talking about this I, did know, this come from? I was just <laughs> thinking, I was like, how the fuck did this go from Tom's <laughs> Ink to, oh, Exits of Execution? There we go, yeah. Yeah, oh,
0: yeah there yeah. you go. So I tell you what, let's give it a break there so we can, we can ah. draw a line into this. We can come ah. back into the second half and go through the rest of the show, of which most of which Matt hasn't seen. Right, see you in a minute. <laughs>
1: Moments away from the biggest heavyweight tie to the fence for this man ever, Hulk Hogan, you got to be ready. Well, you know, I hope Pontiac, Michigan recovers, man. I'm glad I snuck in early last night, brother. I didn't
2: realize the interstate, the Pontiac Silverdome was in danger, not the
1: 90,000-plus on the inside. It's the 90,000-plus on the outside of the Silverdome. Those are the ones I'm worried about, because when I get my hands on that big, nasty giant, when he faces the truth, when he feels the wrath of Hulkamania, the day, the whole earth is going to shake. What are those 90,000 plus Hulkamaniacs on the outside going to think? I'm not worried about the people with the closed circuit. I'm not worried about the people all around the world. They'll see it. But the intensity of Hulkamania, the way it's turned this whole state upside down, the way the whole world's turned upside down. What are they going to think when the giant hits the ground? He feels the wrath of Hulkamania and the whole
0: world
2: shakes at my feet. We could conceivably blow the roof off this great facility, the Silver Dome. Right now, let's go back to the booth.
0: Okay, welcome back to the show. So after the Can-Am Connection versus Don Morocco and Bob Orton Jr., God, we, we spent a lot longer on that match than we should have done, really. <laughs> yeah. There is a hype video for Hercules and Billy Jack Haynes' match. So we finally got some actual hype videos this, this year for WrestleMania. The previous two years didn't get much of this to explain what the hell was going on. This isn't particularly long. We just see Hercules about to apply the full, nation, the full Nelson on Hayes, because, on God, on Haynes, I should say, not Hayes, um because this was his thing. He kind of did the full Nelson challenge, similar to what Chris Masters would do some 20 years later. And Hercules then attacking Haynes for pushing Bobby Heenan, that leading to this sort of match between the two users of the full Nelson. We then get Gene Oakland backstage with Bobby Heenan and Hercules, Herc is very much playing up the idea that he is a Greek
1: god. <laughs> I, I wrote that.
0: <laughs> so we, we saw last year at WrestleMania 2, Hercules Hernandez very much kind of established in the company. But he wasn't at this point playing the role of actual Hercules and now he is.
1: He's like he's like when well, I pulled down the columns in the ancient Greek mythology and rather than the actual ro- roided up loon from the 80s that he actually was. So Hercules Hercules is either in like Greek mythology is either the son of or the
0: father of Zeus. Yeah. Which means that they really missed a trick not having him face t-
1: um, yeah. tiny
0: Lister in the match that they should have really had Hercules versus Zeus.
1: Imagine how awful that would have been. It would have been even worse than the match that he did have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it would have been worse? So, and actually I'm quite disappointed that Matt didn't watch the whole of this show because I think his his really? would have been in, I don't yeah, I don't mean it just from a kind of you lazy bastard, get and watch the show. But really, I meant just actually because I was interested to hear what you would think. Because I think that there is a sense that the first half of the show probably you would have hated, would have responded to in the yeah. same way as you did WrestleMania one and two. Because there, there is a lot of nonsense really at the beginning of this this show in terms of matches. This one is. Over, of course, nearly eight minutes, reading it now, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Effectively, what, this ends in a double counter when uh, Billy Jack Haynes gets on the full Nelson to Hercules, but they roll to the outside and they then carry on fighting
1: and get counted it, out. Well, the first thing I want to point out about this match is it's the first time you see the cuts oh. that bring the wrestlers down to the ring because it's a massive long... And legend has it that apparently they had to do that for Andre. Yeah, they had to do the carts because of Andre would have struggled to get all the way down the ramp. So that's why they that's why they had the carts in there. I wish they did that with every WrestleMania. I love the carts It's amazing. One of the best things ever was on. I think it was like 2K13, W2K13, where if you had a match in the WrestleMania arena, they came down WrestleMania 3 arena. They came down in the carts It's a lovely old job.
0: It would also prevent them from doing the stupid overblown entrances that Triple H loves, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, because that that oh, fucking one, the one in the, like, in the Sting match. Still, I think about it every now and again. It annoys it me. Sting's, really? deb- Sting's debut match in WWE, and he spends about ten minutes of it just stood in the ring like an absolute jabrone while fucking Triple H wanks off a T800 or whatever. Really, so yeah. annoying. Yeah, but the match in itself is is not a technical masterclass. It was never going to be Billy Jack or Billy Jerk. Haynes, as uh, as Bobby Heenan hilariously calls him. I don't really know too much by him, and I've seen my fair share of Hercules Hernandez, but not not loads. Um, there's a pretty impressive gorilla press slam um, from Billy Jack onto Hercules, um, but again, the majority of the match is kind of Hercules beating up Billy Jack because he's got a bad back. Hercules goes to um, pin Billy Jack at one point, and then lifts him back up, and both commentators criticise him for doing so, which I thought was again was an example of how Jesse will kind of just say be honest, he's like that's a stupid decision. He should have just tried to go for the pin, which I, which I quite liked. But it is mainly a battle of the four Nelson. I mean, the fact that they end up going outside the ring and Billy Jack stupidly puts on a full Nelson outside of the ring to get themselves counted out is, is a daft decision but the crowd is still really really hot for it but at the end of the match the the, the it's announced it's a double count out Heenan hits uh, Billy Jack from behind who's got Hercules um, and he then stalks Heenan around the ring Hercules then attacks Billy Jack with the chain and it looks very much like Dave Hebner is giving some kind of form of fellatio <laughs> to Hercules as he's doing it because he's on his knees and he's just like face towards the groin trying to hold him back and it very much looks like he's giving him a blowjob which I enjoyed so I I thought this match was absolutely fine for what it was there was a reason for this match to exist yeah just there right there yeah it was yeah
0: This is not for me. There's two big blokes, one of which, Billy Jack Haynes, I don't think I've ever seen but for this match. And Hercules, who is, for me, I've got to be honest, one of the least interesting
1: wrestlers of the period. Did you notice the headset guy at this point? No. So there's a guy down at the end of the aisleway. I noticed him first during this match, where at the end of the matches, he's just bollocking the wrestlers to try and get them out of the ring Mm. all the time. At the end of every match, he's there. Jack Lanza, apparently. Oh, yeah.
0: One, of the, yeah, one who, of the blackjacks.
1: Yes, who come who later on helps Mary Hart into the ring, I yes. believe. And um, Jesse
0: Ventura makes a comment about him being a perv.
1: Yeah, he does. Um, but yeah, it'll come. I'll, we'll mention him again, Big Jack cool. Lanza.
0: So after this match, Gene Oakland is with King Kong Bundy. Bundy says that he will squash the midgets if he gets his hands on them. He's in a mad match with some little people. So it's King Kong Bundy, Lord Littlebrook, and Little Tokyo versus Hillbilly Jim, Haiti Kid, and Little Beaver. Bob Yuka joins Monsoon and Ventura for commentary, and this is where Yuka says that I think there's a lot of beaver all over the place today. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> he turns
0: it line. He turns it in in fairness he turns it into a perfectly legitimate line when he next says that guy's all over this ring at the moment
1: yeah oh, this is little Tokyo is loving the cart he's having he's having the time of his life and I can't blame him and I did think to myself this is a bit of a fall from grace for a big King Kong Bundy isn't it headlining <laughs> Wrestlemania last year this year in a match with minis against Hillbilly Jim it's like mm, not quite the best Hillbilly Jim does the old um, Tory Wilson cartwheel in the ring before the match starts as oh, well It's a random cartwheel for no reason, which is very, very interesting. I'm not a big fan of Minis wrestling, if I'm being honest, but I do love the old rowboat spot that they always seem to do on each other, which is which is always entertaining. Where you've got two heels led feet to feet, and then two bean faces sat on the side, and they're just pulling their legs apart. Lovely job, Jesse. This time match is desperate for Bundy to hit one of the Minis. He's constantly going, oh, "I just really, really I just really want to see him hit one, just to see what it would look like." And Bob Uecker, like you said, thinking the beaver jokes is having a lovely time on commentary. He's having such a such a great laugh and the crowd absolutely roar when Hillbilly Jim is tagged in and you get him versus Bundy at the end of the match yeah Bundy slams and then elbow drops Little Beaver and the heat on that is absolutely tremendous as well and Bundy is DQ'd but what well, again great bit of Jesse commentary he defends Bundy as uh, Little Beaver shouldn't have interfered in the match in the first place and then as to be expected all the minis defend Little Beaver and Hillbilly Jim carries Little Beaver around like a baby and then just drops him in the corner just <laughs> 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 dumps him down and then starts having an argument with uh, King Kong Bundy but he's he's so tenderly carrying him like a baby then poof, down
0: yes the the fact that Bundy went for the little person is seen as such a treacherous act that even the heel little people decide to help out the uh, baby faces here and get rid of Bundy that's the height of heat you can get basically in WWF Mm -hmm. that is the kind of thing that will turn heels into baby faces just to prevent it from happening none of the the great big heels of our time you know racism sexism anything like that no 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 no, no. oh you tried to hit a little guy that also hit you no that's that's beyond the pale forget it you're done Yeah, and we've seen
1: this happen before well yeah. we didn't We sort of happened obviously uh, with the doink dink wink and pink versus Jerry Jerry Lawler sleazy Weezy and cheesy he doesn't physically assault any of his minis I don't think but he's, he assaults him with his words doesn't he
0: sleazy queasy and cheesy
1: Queasy, well, no not wheezy. he was. was he a, one of the seven dwarves a <laughs> don't, no, I don't know.
0: No. <laughs> a particularly un unfit member of the <laughs> seven dwarfs. Yes,
1: the asthmatic dwarf. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So this match, I'll just quickly run it down. goes three and a half minutes. ends when I can't even remember what the fuck happens at the end. Bundy goes go
1: told you, Bundy, Bundy slams Little Beaver and gets disqualified. That's right, that's right, yeah. Splats him with an elbow drop.
0: Matt,
2: I know you didn't see this, but uh, have you seen many matches involving the minis? I haven't, no. I, I do remember there was a very brief period, I think it was about 2005, possibly, where... WWE tried introducing the, well, they call them the juniors at the time. Um, I think it was on SmackDown for, and it literally only lasted a couple of weeks. And they tried introducing a, uh, a juniors division, and yeah, that shit is not is not for me. Um, the, the only other thing I remember is the uh, the, the, the WLC they called it yeah. from a couple of years later with Hornswoggle and yeah, de- definitely not to my taste.
0: You know, you know, Matt. Like I, I the more the more I get to know you, the more I feel like I'm doing it wrong. It's not wrong to not, not like the minis. But I feel like there's just a middle lane with you. Everything's got to be right down the middle. Like, everything's got to be straight as a die. You know, when I consider the fact that you like that that song by whoever they were, the terror cold, that cold. song. It's, <laughs> it, when I listened to that, I was like, I just got this in my head, this vision of grey. That's, that's what I get when I hear that song. I'm like, oh, it's just so boring and shit. And... <laughs> And I just feel like that's that's where you live is in the middle in the middle lane, like not straying into anything that's a little bit kind of colorful or a little bit kind of something outside of the the nice comfort zone that you've got of this sort of i don't know very kind of gray taste in everything. <laughs> I don't I do quite know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean it to be nasty. I, it's just literally that when I, that song in particular, I just think of it and I'm like, it's just, it's just, all I can imagine is grey Cause it's just yeah. so... Oh, and th- and then and th- and then there's this sort of everything has to be wrestly 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 and anything that strays ever s- slightly away from the serious wrestling
2: is suddenly like cheap or or you find cringy you know what I mean? There's there's plenty of things I could think I mean I say plenty I mean the one w- one of my favorite sort of angles that I remember ironically involving Kurt Angle was the was the milk truck thing that he did you know years back with the line love that most of my favorite stuff to to be honest this is probably similar to everybody else but most of my favourite stuff ever with The Rock. It is more his promos that, than half his matches. In fact, one of my favourite things that he ever did, there was a promo he did on Raw against Triple H in, might have been 2002, and he, he almost lost his train of thought, you could tell because he sort of paused in his words, but he basically just went, I'm the Undisputed Champion so shut up, bitch. And <laughs> just the way he recovered that, that was one of the the best things I think he ever did.
0: Hmm. But it's still quite cool, isn't it? Like, you, you, you struggle with anything that isn't trying to be cool or serious. Anything that anything that's a little bit lame, you instantly hate.
2: Like it's not even like you get a little bit of pleasure from how lame it is. You just hate it. Yeah, that's that, that's probably like what, what was the thing on um there's a thing on SmackDown uh, this week. That, I don't know if either of you saw it. The, they said about being oosie did, did either of you see that about Sami yeah. Zayn and the Usy? Oh, I, yeah. Like I, I had some shit on Twitter for that. Like yeah, but it, it was Roman acting like you know the frigging mafia, and then all of a sudden he said, "Oh, you're not feeling very Oosie today, are you." And of course I. Everybody finds that fucking hilarious. I was like, get out of here. See, don't like don't like bits of f- humour. There's <laughs> humorlessness Is that is the word <laughs> I would consider
0: your taste? <laughs> um, so so then we get the uh, a bit of a video for Harley Race versus Junkyard Dog. Matt, you didn't even see the Junkyard Dog match. You absolutely fucking love Junkyard Dog as well. I, I
1: was
2: I was disappointed when I I was like, oh fuck no, I missed JYD. You haven't missed him. You're going to go back and watch it. It's fine.
1: At this point, I'm like fucking. up. Bobby is doing a lot of heavy lifting. In this, in this, in this entire run, like he's he's getting involved in a lot, isn't he?
0: Well, we'll we'll talk about somebody later on. I think is my MVP of the night, who is similarly uh, working their ass off around is he, the show.
1: Is he someone who's definitely going to need a lozenge at the end of the night?
0: No, well, no, 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 not particularly.
1: He does some okay. talking,
0: not a lot. Yes, we see JYD putting Race's king costume on, and Race attacking JYD and trying to force him to bow. It's a bit, a bit uncomfortable with that. Got yeah, honest, a little, little bit. bit. Then we have Gene Oakland with Harley Race, Queen Moolah, and Bobby Heenan. Heenan tells Moolah to take care of the crown jewels, <laughs> and then crown the king after the match. She gives her the little, uh, the, the the crown, and puts it on top of a pillow that uh, Moolah is holding. Gene Oakland then interviews JYD. JYD says he will be wearing the crown at the end of the match, although I'm not sure that that's the point of this match because the loser must bow is the, uh, is the yeah. stipulation. So it's not like he becomes king if he wins. That's not the stipulation. I was going to say he knows
2: as much about the rules as I do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he also, he also says that um, Harley Race has been sitting on the throne too long, which I think Mean Gene thinks of as being a toilet joke. And he does a little, look to, a little glance towards the camera and has a little smirk.
0: So, yes, Harley Race vs. Junkyard Target is up next. It's four and a bit minutes. It's a loser must bow to their opponent. It, this one ends when uh, Race hits a belly-to-belly suplex and gets the pin. Mm. The pin is a bit messy as well. Uh, I think JYD probably didn't want to do the job, so kind of kicked out, out just after just the three count. After the match, JYD curtsies and bows, then knocks Race down with a steel chair.
1: Before this... um. Bob Euchers disappear to try and find Moolah. For That's reasons right. unbeknownst. This match is, is really, really short, as you said. JYD gets ahead of a reaction. Again, it's a shame that his music's dubbed over, but, but what I will say, you can barely hear his dubbed over music, and it absolutely slaps from what I can hear about it. It sounds incredible. There's a couple of bits in it that, that, that I did note in this in this short match. Um in that race hits a diving headbutt but hurts himself on account of a junkyard dog's famously hard head, uh, which uh, which is, is one of those weird moments as well. Where you think, hmm, I'm not sure I'd do that. But basically, I don't I don't really have much much to say say other than fucking headset guys at it again he's there yelling at harley race at the end of the match and get out of the ring fucking get out of the ring you cunt. we've got more stuff to go on
0: they, they've obviously got some time issues haven't they because they they are rushing through some of these matches that one lasts four minutes we've already had the three minute match that came before this yeah the next one lasts four minutes there they are they seem to be rushing through so obviously lands has been told look you need to get people in and out of the ring as quick as you possibly can because we need to get this in within three hours which they don't quite manage the other thing that I pulled out from this is that Junkyard Dog, so I assume the the music that he comes down to would have been Another One Bites of mm-hmm. Dust, which was his classic Mid-South entrance music, which is probably where they've had to dub it over. This is really kind of the end. He's on one more WrestleMania Junkyard Dog, but it's kind of the end of Junkyard Dog's kind of big uh-huh. run as a major star in the WWE. And he was a major star in the WWE, but I guess ultimately they decided that he's kind of on the way, on the way down. By this point, Matt is gutted. Look at him, shaking his head. That's
1: gonna suck. Yes, yeah, one, one more WrestleMania for you to not watch. Oh <laughs> yeah.
0: that wasn't even me that time, Matt. I've <laughs> simmered him. down. I've simmered <laughs> down. Now Tom's coming in with the with the knife.
1: That's what that's what you get for fucking slagging off Bret Hart. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was expecting some form of retribution. <laughs> Um,
0: yeah, a bit of a strange one. It's not a great match and also a Harley race. So this is Harley race long after his his, um, his peak. He has at this point, effectively, as I understand it, he had invested in one of the territories in the early 80s. And that had been a major mistake because the territories were on their way out. He had gone, I understand, bankrupt and needed to continue to work. And that's why he's still wrestling at this point.
1: Which is quite sad because we've seen the match that he did his back in, haven't we? It's one a match what maybe on like a main event or something like that where he was the match that he does his back in which big affects. Oh, we did see the
0: we did see the Saturday Night's main event where yeah he really hurts himself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
1: with against Hogan. Think. yeah i think it might even be before this
0: it's a good match actually
1: yeah um,
0: it's a decent match so then the next match again four minutes is the dream team against the rougeo brothers before that we do have a bit of extra stuff so vincent McMahon is with hulk hogan he says that in order to beat a him, andre will have to beat all the Hulkam- hulkamaniacs in the world and says hulkamania w- will prevail as it's the purest form of the truth there is coming from hulk hogan that's quite ironic i
1: thought <laughs> He also says he says I've been in the gym and I'm hanging and banging and I'm like oh okay don't want to know what's going on there. He's wife shagging <laughs> this time and then he then he says he said some people in the gym have have said that this is my last ride. Just some people, no need to go to specifics. And at the end of it, he says if the dirty air doesn't get him, then the politicians will. I'm like what the fuck are you talking about? And Vincent Mann looks absolutely perplexed at what Hogan's talking about at this point. He stood there and he's like no oh, fuck. He's got this bizarre look on his face. I'd Maybe. recommend checking it out. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a masterpiece in absolute nonsense. Dino Collins then with the Dream Team, Valiant and
0: Bravo talk but don't say much. But strangely, neither of the Dream Team, Beefcake or Valentine, actually say anything. Dino Bravo is now with them as a kind of third wheel.
1: Johnny V says something about scrambled eggs, but I couldn't quite get what it was.
0: Yeah, I, I I didn't really get any notes down for what they said here. It was too quick in between two matches. So yes, the Rougeau brothers against the Dream team. This one ends when the Rougeaus hit a nice double team, but the ref gets distracted. And then Bravo knees Raymond off the top rope and Valentine pins Raymond Rougeau to get the victory. After the match, Dino Bravo, Johnny Valiant and Greg Valentine leave Bruce Beefcake behind. They're celebrating and leave old Beefcake behind. And effectively, this is Beefcake's babyface turn. This bizarre. is effectively what turns in babyfaces. They fuck off. Yeah. So basically, he's done nothing heroic. Basically, all of his mates have left so the fans now have to cheer
1: for him. What? Yeah. It's bizarre. It's really, really weird, isn't it? Like... Yeah. You think about like, the great heel and babyface turns. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think this one will be in, in the top 10. The the only thing I've got, a couple of notes I've got there, is that there's uh, gorilla comments of the Federettes mm-hmm. who have got their new outfits on. There's some kind of cheerleader who you don't see again the entire show, so they just get mentioned in this bit. The Rojas get jobber entrances. Um, Valentine and Beefcake have got some absolutely delightful robes on coming into this match. Valentine, so we've discussed Titus O'Neil being too naked in his upper body. You need to have elbow pads, you need to have wrists, you need to have something on. Valentine doesn't either. He has nothing on his arms, but he doesn't look too naked. And I'm trying to figure out why. I wonder if it's because he's quite short, so there's not as much... Mm. Flesh on display
0: I think that's also Titus is bold And Greg's mm. got hair So there's, there's more going on it's, I think it's probably just you, There's nothing to distract you From the whole nakedness Of Titus Yeah
1: and Exactly Let's <laughs> no, not lie Greg Valentine's hair Is luscious Isn't it, <laughs> um, it You get Bobby Heenan doing him in commentary he's defending Hercules And race And he says that He's he's two for two And that he's on a roll There's a bit where He says Why weren't you out For the Bundy match And he says I don't deal with midgets I don't like them <laughs> It's a bit like God is like really a hit at the time but the finisher from the Rouges is really really weird because it's like a doomsday device but it's rather than a clothesline it's Jack's bollocks hitting him in the face it's like a senton isn't it which is very very weird and like you said Tinky the, the face turn from Beefcake is bizarre
0: well credit to, to uh, Bobby Heenan because he's basically been at ringside he's then run all the way up to the top of the stadium to join Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon and commentary and when he gets there he's properly out of breath <laughs> yeah. he's completely done and I'm not fucking surprised i what are you doing to this man like he's already going come into the ring like four or five times during the match he's got to do promos with andre all kinds of stuff going on and you're making him run up to do a commentary on a four minute match What's that about? Yeah. Well, fair enough, if it was twenty minutes and you wanted another perspective, but four minutes—that's just—that's just not it's worth bonkers, it. It's just, it. It's not worth it. it. It's all right, this match. But again, like four minutes—they are rushing through the matches. They're really getting through it. And this is when I was thinking—I watched. I think I watched originally up to this point and I had to stop at this moment. And I thought, oh, this is not looking a good show. I'm—I'm going to give this a poor re- review based on the way this started. And it's strange because I remember I watched this. It feels like yesterday, but it's probably six years ago or so when I went back and did some uh, additional daily squash episodes and it wasn't the Daily Squash by that point it was just the squash and me and Gavin reviewed Wrestlemania 3 and I remember being quite positive about it and then I was like well this is this is not what I remember this is uh, this has been poor to this point in general
1: so I watched it up to the end of the following match from this one and I'm having the time of my life
0: (laughs) I'm sure you are I'm sure you are we then get the build to the next match which is Adrian Adonis versus Roddy Piper showing Adonis attacking Piper on an edition of the I think it's the flower shop or the the, something like that it was his his interview segment basically and then piper smashing up the set for that particular show then jimmy hart on piper's pit allowing adonis to attack Piper from behind. And then we saw Adonis spray Piper with something similar to Rick Martel's arrogant yes. cologne and Piper says he's not about to be embarrassed by losing to a man who wears a dress. This is also positioned as Piper's final match.
1: It's also very rich considering that he's wearing a kilt when he says that.
0: That's very true. <laughs> that is very true.
1: The the main thing I've got from this is that you see Piper smashing all the stuff up in, um, the, uh, in the flower shop and then it cuts to them having a fight in what looks like a medieval living room which so I guess must be Puyper's Pit. And it's very strange because it's got all the hallmarks of, you know, a castle, like a medieval castle. But it's got carpet. <laughs> it's very confusing. It's nice beige, blancmange-covered carpet. Very, very odd.
0: Well, you know, I mean, obviously, he wants a little bit of uh, luxury, a little bit of comfort in his uh, big old castle you, in Scotland. You, need a it's also like transportable insulation. to
1: different studios. <laughs> you need insulation, don't you? You don't want cold floor.
0: <laughs> so then uh, there's a little interview with Gene Oakland, Adrian O'Donis and Jimmy Hart, which I have no notes for just said so that there's an interview and then we have the roddy piper versus adrian adonis match which is not just positioned as piper's last match it's also a hair versus hair contest the match ends when beefcake comes down and revives piper after piper had been previously kind of apparently knocked out piper then applies a sleeper hold and wins the match. Beefcake then shears the head of Adrian Adonis, hence the barber. This is effectively when it came to the barber. And Piper holds up a mirror for Adonis to see his own reflection. Monsoon comments, leaving in shame and disgust at which point I thought of Old Man and how much he would be objecting to this commentary Um after the, after the match a fan jumps into the ring try to celebrate with Roddy Piper and then basically gets very roughly treated by the security <laughs> guards you get, get rid of him but Piper himself kind of embraces him and he loves kind of it doesn't he they? yeah he loves it he's absolutely loving it so I felt quite bad for that fan
1: so the the, the match itself so the crowd have been pretty good throughout this already the crowd are really into it. the crowd fucking pick up a bit when Piper comes out and it's this where you're like, Jesus, I'm no no Piper fan, but my God, what an absolute megastar he is. Absolutely enormous reaction to him. This is quite funny because right at the beginning, Piper starts whipping Adonis and now Jesse goes, oh, it's a strap match then, is it? (laughs) Which I thought was was quite nice. There's a really impressive turnbuckle flip from Adrian Adonis. You know, the old Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels flip over the turnbuckle, which is great. The crowd are absolutely on fire when Piper hits old Jimmy Hart and Adrian Adonis with a double noggin knocker. And again, the crowd just fucking ballistic yeah. and then there's a bit where Piper throws heart into the anything involving Jimmy Hart basically getting his comeuppance goes absolutely through the roof during this match it's, it doesn't really have like much of a story much of a format it's kind of just a match that kind of happens but my main thing is that this match seems to be a way to get Beefcake over as a baby face yeah that seems to be the point of this match there's there's, a, there's an amazing spot in it which we've seen before we've seen Austin do it famously where he hits the top rope with a chair and, and hits himself in the face Adrian Adonis does that with Clipper Claude aka the hedge trimmers or the shears that he's got and it is Is so slow and so unbelievable. It's one of the worst things I think I've ever seen in a wrestling match. I just enjoyed this match a lot because of the crowd, how much they're into it. And fair play to Adrian Adonis. He is so up for making an absolute tit of himself. And when he sees his hair after it's been sheared and Piper's got the mirror up, he goes, What the fuck? (laughs) It's absolutely amazing. And at the end of the match, old Piper leaves and uh, an old headset man gives him a massive hug, once again, making everything about himself.
0: (laughs) God, someone really hates old Jack Lanza on this. That's brilliant. I think that this is the best match of the show so far up to this mm-hmm. point um, by quite a way actually the crowd are really into it they do a great job my MVP of the night is Jimmy Hart because mm-hmm. my goodness does he have to work over this night he makes this match he is phenomenal during this match he gets thrown all over the place there's one bit where he and Adonis go over the top rope together in each other's arms and I'm like flipping out he's properly, he's probably bumping big time He's he probably bumps more than any person on this entire show during the course of this night because this is not the only one as well that he gets physically involved in and as you said every single time he gets anything done to him the fans absolutely eat Eat every single bit of it up, which obviously shows that he has been an absolute heat magnet to this point. Absolutely brilliant. Thought Jimmy Hart was amazing all night, to be honest. The other bit that Adrian Adonis does after losing the match and seeing his reflection is he then charges at Piper and Beefcake and misses them entirely as he charges them into the corner and goes face first into the turnbuckle as he does it (laughs) and maintains a level of rage, which is so believable. I can only imagine he's actually angry because he's just brilliant he's just properly throwing a tantrum after this match and again Matt unfortunately this is the last little scene of Adonis because he's not in another WrestleMania after this and he leaves the company not to, not long after although to be honest you were such a fan of Uncle Elmer versus Adrian Adonis then it's not really a surprise that you would be so upset
2: God that was awful
0: Well Matt we're, we're getting closer to the point at which you can actually start to uh, talk about the matches I bet you can't wait Ooh, you? I'm excited <laughs> We're not quite there yet though so next up Mary Hart and Bob Uka join Gorilla Monsoon at Commentary they start to speculate as to where jesse ventura is because ventura has decided that he's going to go down to the rig just so he can be personally introduced to the crowd um <laughs> But Yuka claims that he's trying to steal Fabulous Muller away from him, and that's why <laughs> he's to try and find him, find her backstage. Fink then introduces Ventura to the crowd, and Fink says, allegedly, the only man who tells the truth or something to that effect when he when he does so, and Ventura takes particular umbrage with Fink over the fact that he said, allegedly, brilliant stuff. That's all he does, though. That's pretty much it. The rest of the, 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 the match, then, that's next goes ahead. But this is a lovely bit of healdom from Ventura, I thought.
1: It is. It's great. It's to make it all about himself. And then, also, I quite like the fact that then gorilla then puts over the fact that uh he's starring in the predator yes which, which is, is out soon. soon yeah yeah which has made me really feel like i should watch the predator again not a big fan of it to be honest. i, lo- I love it it's, I it's brilliant um, it's not everything. it's not the best irony film but it's up there
0: <laughs> any any thoughts on that might have seen it or not i've never seen it never course seen it it was out after you were born before you were born sorry didn't, didn't watch anything it's Pre, pre-1990. So the next match is a six-man tag match. The Hart Foundation and Danny Davis versus the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana. The last thing that Ventura does before he is no longer in front of the crowd is he steals Matilda, the British Bulldogs <laughs> Bulldog, and, uh, and is taken away in the, the cart with Matilda. So that's what Ventura does after this.
1: I think that might be a bit of a heroic act, if I'm being honest. I think so. I, I think, think Matilda's not looking very comfortable.
0: Yeah, I think he just decides you know what, well, I'm going to take this dog backstage so he's He's not in front of this massive crowd anymore and scared shitless. So we are told by... Grillamon scene that Danny Davis has has been suspended as a referee for life plus 10 years. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know (laughs) why the 10 years was needed as well. He's obviously, as a con, this is obviously as a consequence of the fact that he has effectively been the reason why the British Bulldogs lost the tag team titles to the Hart Foundation and also the reason why Tito Santana had lost the Intercontinental title to Randy Savage over 18 months prior to this. So there's quite a long storyline because earlier on, well, we already talked about the Andre Hogan match, but in the video package for that, they show Andre congratulating Hogan on winning the world title in 1984 so that's three years before this there's a lot of kind of you know adding a couple of bits that have been going on for a long time which I like before the match there is a pre-recorded interview with Jimmy Hart he says that if Santana wants a war he's got one that's pretty much the uh, whole of that particular interview and then before Matilda's taken away by Ventura here she chases Jimmy Hart out of the ring which again I'm sure she wasn't really that interested in doing she's probably
1: just really scared but gets the- a great crowd reaction. As it well. does
0: get a great, time. but again, it's Jimmy Hart. They yeah. they absolutely hate him. This one goes for just under nine minutes. Uh, it ends when the match breaks down after David Boy Smith hits a power slam, and then Danny Davis hits David Boy Smith with Jimmy Hart's megaphone and gets the pin.
1: Yeah, as loath as I am to say this about a match involving Bret Hart, this wasn't great for me. Um, I feel <laughs> like considering the amount of talent that there actually is in mm. the ring, it's nowhere near as good as it should be. Danny Davis has got the air of a T-bird from Greece about him. <laughs> Yes, yeah. hair wonderful. Have you ever seen Grease Matter? No, I haven't believed Oh, not. fuck hell. Uh, now. no, no. There's there's, um, a, there's a
2: reason behind that though. I hate musicals. Of course <laughs> you do. It's fun.
0: <laughs> it's not grey. It's actually colourful and it's got something apart, about it.
2: Apart from I have seen the Book of Mormon and I did like that. Yeah,
1: I haven't seen that. I would do want to though. This, this this match mainly is to have Tito Santana get his hands on Danny Davis is the main kind of reason behind this match to happen. And they obviously decided to chuck the Heart Foundation and the Bulldogs in as a way to kind of hide maybe the uh, the limit. I suppose, of Danny Davis versus Tito Santana, as that, as that would be. Tito Santana is arguably the best white meat babyface of all time, I think. Has he ever been a heel? Not I d- no, I don't either. And I'm trying to think of anyone else who ever had a run and was so popular as your classic babyface than Ricky Tito the Santana. Dragon
0: Steamboat.
1: Yeah, but he's a cunt me, so... <laughs>
0: I'd say Ricky and the Dragon team might had a better run than
1: Team. You know what? You're probably right, but I just discounted that out of hand, didn't I? So <laughs> no, that's that's a very good point, but that's why I said that's why I managed to add the caveat of one of the in there. See <laughs> what so I did? Um, in case I was wrong about that. Um, but no, this this match wasn't great. Um, the 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 heat on it though at the end, because Danny Davis has got a lot of heat on him. So what they they do quite well it's like he'll tag in, kick someone when they're on the ground, and then tag out again, and so he never really gets a chance. Davy Boy hits him with an almighty tombstone pile Driver, which looks so brutal, but yeah, the, the the heat at the end of the match when um Danny Davis hits Bulldog uh, Davy, should I say, with the with the megaphone is absolutely magnificent. So that in itself makes us not a bad match because again the crowd is so. Into hating Jimmy Hart through it and Danny Davis.
0: Yeah, this microphone shot, Matt, no, I know you haven't seen it. This microphone shot is far better than the ones you've previously seen where you were like, That looks shit. This is actually he actually waffles in with it. It's yeah. it, it, it follows through, but it's good. Danny Davis is brilliant. Those few tacks where he comes in, mm. kicks like Davey Boy or Dynamite or whatever he's in the ring with and then gets out again. He gets so much heat on him. The fans are booing the shit out of him when he does it. They just hate the fact that the baby faces can't get their hands on him and he just comes in when they're down, kicks them a couple of times and gets out. Just absolutely brilliant stuff. I think this is one of those matches that actually is quite common on those early WrestleMania shows, which is that with less matches on the show and a slight tweak could be something that would be really exciting as a WrestleMania match. If they'd have just gone with a straight tag team title match with the Hart Foundation versus the British Bulldogs and given them 12-13 minutes, people will be talking about it as one of the best early WrestleMania matches that there are. And they do this constantly through this period. There are matches that could be really good and turn into nothing because they've got too many matches on the show and also they're not really considering match quality very much. It's just, you know, it's just get them in and out. And so it's one of those ones where you're like, oh, what a shame. 'Cause this could really have added overall to what this show is. It's all right, it's not bad, it's a decent six man tag match, but it could have been so much yeah. more. And that's the uh, that's the shame of it. Um that's really all I've got to say. It was it was it was decent. There's some nice suplexes, as you imagine, when you get David Boy Smith or you get Dynamite Kid or you get Bret yeah. Hart in the match. That's about it, really. Then we get Gene Oakland backstage with Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant. We are getting so close, Matt, to
1: when Yeah, I know, I'm tribute. just thinking about it. He's about to it's it's like Austin called Steve Austin at uh, the Rumble ninety eight where everyone's just waiting. <laughs> (laughs) for him to come in. (laughs) That's why
2: I didn't watch the first half of the show, to build anticipation for (laughs)
1: him. Heenan says that Andre will become heavyweight
0: champion of the world. He says Andre is undefeated in 15 years, and Heenan says Hulkamania is dead. Now, Andre hasn't been undefeated in 15 years no I didn't think that would be the case he had lost on a number of occasions prior to this although mainly by disqualification or count out Andre was one of the most protected wrestlers Mm. of all time and understandably so why wouldn't you I think old man said some time ago that this is the way WWF and everyone else treated Andre was really how they should have treated Big Show from day one of him being Mm. in the promotion you just protect him at all costs so that even when Andre comes along with his not particularly good looking chops and kicks you still like well it's Andre the Giant there's no way they're gonna have him beaten so yeah they did protect him a lot but he had lost now in fairness he had worked all over the world and I'm not sure he'd lost many times in the WWWF over the period mm. that he'd worked for them either but then he wasn't really a regular in WWWF for most of that time so he would guest appear on sort of five six shows a year in the big house shows that they would do but he did tour everywhere so pretty much he didn't have a lot of time to wrestle in the WWWF is often portrayed as he was a WWF guy that's not really true it's not no. really what what the case was he was an everyone guy a man of uh, an every man quite literally everyone I mean he, I was looking through his matches on cage Mac, cage match the other day and there's matches from Japan there's matches from uh, Europe there's matches from even like Puerto Rico and Hawaii he's going literally everywhere and working for every territory that there is and getting paid a lot of money because he was a huge attraction mm. Really big attraction. So, Matt, we're finally there. We're at the five <sighs> matches of the show that you've managed to watch. And we start with Butch Reed against Coco Beware, which is a match that lasts a whopping three and a half minutes. And end when um, Reed reverses Ware's crossbody into a pin, Reed then grabs the tights and wins the match. Matt, why don't we get your opinion of this contest?
2: Oh, I love this. We, we finally got to the point where I have something to say and I've got hardly fuck all to say about (laughs) (laughs) it. I mean, yeah, given how sort of brief it was, there's not an awful lot you can say. And I want to try and remain a little bit positive. So what I will say is that I was actually quite impressed with Coco Be Athleticism. I thought his drop kicks were actually really pretty good, and I was actually quite surprised with how athletic he actually was. So, so that was definitely a positive. But other than that, yeah, that the match was so short, there wasn't really a hell of a lot to it. You know, there, there was a hip toss in there. Um, you know, there was a small package for a near fall at the end, and then yeah, obviously there was the reverse cross body, which I, I did quite like the finish, even though it did kind of come out of nowhere. But yeah, he was just it was really brief. It was it was okay. It was
0: fine. I think this is the difference the slight difference between this and WrestleMania 2 is that WrestleMania 2, this match on WrestleMania 2 would have been thirty seconds long and it, <laughs> and and they'd have botched the finish. Whereas at <sighs> least this
2: was in and out,
0: but it was tidy whilst it was there. Yeah,
2: it was it was, it was fine. It was nothing in it was nothing in ineff- <laughs> you know, nothing effective
1: about it. There is a again another cartwheel in the match. Little Koki Beware hits the dropkick and then does a lovely cartwheel afterwards, like a really unnecessary cartwheel. But I do not have any real ma really notes until the end of the match, which is when Slick hits Koki with the cane before tito comes into the mix to save and then disrobes slick for reasons that i can't quite explain slick then runs up the ramp looking like he's just been hit by a car like he's selling he's falling over he's staggering and there's so much rubbish being thrown at him if you look in the background you can see a beardless drew neville and a long-haired christian scrabbling around all the rubbish because they think it's a bin but yeah this match so short and there's no there's no reason for it to, for it to be anything than it was frankie looks a little bit more at home than Matilda does I would say but still not a great fan of the use of animals we've discussed this before but yeah this match is is kind of nothing really it's it's getting us ready for the next match isn't it It's just get this fucking shit out of the way so we can we can get to the real match afterwards.
2: Frankie was loving life.
1: (laughs) May have done. I'm not an expert in bird body language, if I'm being honest. But I am an expert in bird law.
0: (laughs) Okay. I guess it's one of those things where people tend to construe dogs, for example, with their tails wagging as always being happy, but that's simply not the case. If they are wagging in a certain way, it means they're very stressed. So it may be the same with the bird where he was flapping his wings around. Maybe it was happy, maybe it wasn't. I don't know because as Tom said, not an expert in bird body
1: language but uh, i am an expert in bird law i this is completely going over my head so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i know so i'm enjoying it even more I, think, I hope some one of our listeners gets a reference or something's gonna sound like a madman
0: so then we get the build-up for savage versus steamboat including oh. savage injuring steamboat's throat during an attack oh. Saturday, then on Saturday night's main event Where Steamboat confronts Savage and George Stale kidnapping Elizabeth We then get a Savage straight to camera Promo which is pretty short And again I haven't got any notes on it And then Jeannie Oakland interviews Ricky Steamboat Who says that the dragon will scorch The back of Savage and will be The new Intercontinental champion
1: Any thoughts on the bits here? This is real, this, oh I remember this I remember watching this, being like like When I was a kid watching it on, on the video Because like I said I wouldn't have been watching this at the time. Like when it actually happened but watching the video footage for this at the time i remember being scared at thinking that ricky the steamboat ricky the dragon steamboat was dead do you not know I mean like i was i was absolutely just yeah i remember this so vividly at the time being such a massive deal happening and they do a great job in presenting it in that manner the weird bit about it after you see ricky steamboat being taken away in the ambulance, in the stretcher, should I say, up the aisle. You then get an interview with Mean Gene Oakland and a doctor. I'm saying the phrase doctor in inverted commas. It's very much a wrestler, because who they've got and just said, you look like you're probably smart. Just chuck a lab coat on and Ah. give us some waffle about Ricky (laughs) the Dragon (laughs) Steamboat's throat. One thing they didn't do, though, was put a shirt on him. So this doctor is just stood there with a white coat on with no shirt on underneath saying, oh, Ricky Steamboat, he's going to be fine. And then, um, mean Gene supposes that maybe it's through his entire strength of will and character which is how he's managed to recover from such an injury but like I said this was real Oh, this, this is a magnificent build to a match absolutely magnificent and when you see footage of Ricky versus like a jobber on an episode of Superstars and you see Macho Man coming down and the refs are trying to keep them apart it, it, it just feels so personal and so like I said I'm going to keep using the phrase real throughout this entire match it feels so authentic and real and these two genuinely really hate each other
2: i did see this but i don't i don't remember seeing it i know i know i definitely watched it because trust me i I ticked off every box of the second half of the show but why don't i remember this
0: i don't know matt you've got five matches to remember and you can't remember half of it. (laughs) one of it now what's going on
2: i don't remember seeing this
0: anyway the match itself is for the intercontinental title it's 14 and a half Minutes long It ends when Randy Savage Goes for a slam But Ricky Steamboat Reverses it into A small
2: package And Steamboat Gets victory Why don't we start With you Matt What did you make Of this? This one I was really Looking forward to Now the As everybody Listening knows I only caught The second half Of this show And the, the way I, I kind of watched it I watched the main event And then I just Sort of cherry picked I was like Okay go with What you think Is important To try and get The most important Stuff ticked off So this was the match i ended up watching second now i think it would have been better if it was the it would have been interesting if it was the other way around but i, I think i've got a different perspective seeing the main event and then this now almost if you're comparing the two almost straight away right off the bat this was fast paced as all hell like i said especially compared to the main event and it was yeah like to to the point of while i was taking notes i almost struggled to take notes because so much was going on but I couldn't quite keep up with it, and that did happen quite a few times. Now I've definitely heard that you know that this is well, you know, well, if you ask a lot of people about WrestleMania three, that this will say this is probably what they feel is the best match. And do you know what? It, it it was pretty good. I got to be honest. I I definitely did enjoy it. I mean, for me, well, the the sort of finishing sequence was quite long in the sense of it was just near fall, so small package after roll up after small package after roll-up, near fall, roll up. It was that was a little bit repetitive for me. I mean, in a way, I, I can see how it is you can look at it as a good thing, because you know, at the end of the day, they, you know, they're desperately trying to get the win. And if they can get that win however they can get it, great. So that kind of is a good thing. But it was a little bit repetitive, that sequence. But other than that, I mean, you know, for, for this particular time, I mean, the, these two definitely worked their asses off. The crowd was certainly well into it. Um, and like I said, it was it was a lot more fast-paced than you'd expect. So th- this was actually really enjoyable. Um, I, I did definitely uh, have a lot of fun watching this one.
0: I think if you put this on now, I think you'd still say it was fast-paced. I think they are going at an unbelievable pace. It's thunderous. And I think that's what stands out about it. I don't think it's especially amazing as a match i do think there's a little bit there's something about it this doesn't isn't quite it doesn't put it in that top tier for me but what really stands out about it's just the pure pace that they, they they go at it and that's because i think they're trying to fit in a 20 minute match into 14 they haven't really got the kind of time that you would want to give them saying all that the the i think the bit where they're kind of exchanging pinfalls and whatnot is the best bit for me the way they're going back and forth it gets super dramatic the fans are like constantly thinking the match is over there's the bit where savage hits the the elbow drop off the top rope, but there's no referee because he'd been previously knocked down. There's all that stuff. Savage coming off the top rope. Savage coming off the top rope to the floor at one point mm. in, in the uh, with the with the double axe handle. They're just working their ass off. They're working so fast, and they are trying to get everything in. It's definitely the match of the night in my opinion. I mean, it's not a particularly controversial opinion ultimately, <laughs> but it's perhaps we spoke on the SummerSlam '92 episode about whether the Bret Hart David Boy Smith match was the best match in WWE of history by that point. And this would be one of the matches that would contend with it. Ultimately, as time's gone on, there have been far better matches. But it's, it stands out at the time, amongst what it's amongst, as a very, very, very good match.
2: Just before you come in, sorry Tom. I just one thing I just wanted to respond to there. I'm glad you mentioned SummerSlam '92 because if you if I remember, was it uh, Ultimate Warrior versus Randy Savage? Yeah. yeah. That match massively surprised me and massively you know sort of surpassed my expectations. I was actually expecting that type of performance and that type of shock from this match, which I didn't really get. Not to say that I thought the match was bad by any stretch, but given how much I enjoyed you know that Warrior and Savage match, I was kind of expecting that sort of thing.
1: I love this match I think it's a I think it's a masterpiece personally I think this is probably one of the best examples along with Brett versus Owen of doing everything within largely within the constraints of the actual rules of a wrestling match without any outside interference without needing any gimmicks without anything this is just a straight pure wrestling match and I think it's wonderful whilst I appreciate they are moving at a hell of a clip during this match they also know when to slow it down the the selling of both wrestlers and you know I'm I'm a huge Matchman fan and I don't really like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat but both of them in this match put on in my opinion the performance of their lives I think they're selling like the, they're selling for each other which makes the other person look amazing that everything they're doing means everything, there's such great impact for every single move, everything everything is important I love the fact that, that, that Ricky starts off really aggressive and Matcha Man is a little bit unsure what to do, slows it down a little bit goes outside the ring to recoup the the, the offence and the selling is, is tremendous Matcha already starts targeting the kind of neck, sternum and throat area because he knows there's a weakness there there's a moment like where Machiman Man like, hit It's like a running knee to the back of to the back of Steamboat and it looks borderline clumsy, but it looks like he's just trying to connect with anything. To, to make sure that he gets some impact on him. The intensity from Macho Man's insane. I'm really glad you mentioned the top rope to the outside double axe handle because it's it's easy to think of it now as being a reasonably basic move. People weren't doing that then. Like the stuff that these two were doing, the pace that they were working at does not happen. There's a bit where Steamboat skins the cat and the crowd lose their fucking mind when he does that. And then immediately Matchaman twats him out of the ring again. Just get
2: the gets spit out.
1: Yeah and gets all the heat back on him. It's just wonderful and what I really like about it is that they've got George Animal Steel outside of the ring as well accompanying Steamboat and Elizabeth obviously with Matchman but they obviously at the end um, Animal Steel gets involved because he pushes he pushes um macho off the top rope but their their involvement doesn't distract away from the match they add to the match there's a lovely bit when <laughs> Matchman swings for the referee which i always like he swings for dave hebner and all th- throughout the entire match as well i really like the fact that jesse ventura keeps accusing hebner of counting really slowly which he even does at the end with the actual win so again it just undercuts his point the entire time which I, which it should do as as the heel the only criticism I have this match. I love again, like you said, Tinky. I love the bit with there, with all the false finishes and, and the pinfall. The only thing I would like to, what I like would more, like, would like more, would be if the small package was cinched in a little bit tighter. It looks a little bit flimsy, if I'm being honest. But at this stage in the game, both wrestlers must be must be absolutely fucked. So I can understand why it might not be. But I would just like it to be a little bit snug, more snug. But other than that, that's the only criticism I can have of this match. I I absolutely love it and it is easily in my top five as well
0: a bit more snug and a little with a bit more room would be nice they're right in the corner of the
1: yeah of the ring in the middle of the, just the middle of the
0: if it was just in the middle of the ring it would have been lovely and it would be a, you know, a bit more kind of snug then it would, have been, it would have been perfect but the thing that you touched on there which actually is the thing that I most like about it is that it does look a little sloppy but it looks sloppy in a good way because it looks like they're just desperate to get their hands on each other they're just desperate to try and win this isn't doesn't feel at all choreographed which incredibly it probably was which is it was weird, weirdly because that's what Savage used to do and he was the only one who used to do it and he used to face quite a lot of backlash from people backstage for Doing so, but it genuinely doesn't feel choreographed because it is a little sloppy because they're moving at such a lick. So I I find that bit really fascinating and I really like that bit about it. As I say, I think it's a good match. I just I don't know this. It's just something I can't even put my 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 finger on it why I don't hold it in the absolute highest regard. But it is it is uh it is is a very very good match and obviously the best WrestleMania match we've seen thus far for the first three WrestleManias.
1: I would suggest. And and to nobody's surprise, it's my match of the night. (laughs)
0: Yeah. The other re- the other thing I wanted to touch upon actually was the George Steele interference because again I I agree that did add to it because. Of the fact that again this is a story That's been going for well over a year Mm. So we saw at Wrestlemania 2 George Steele faces Randy Savage for the intercontinental Title and George Steele is fascinated and Besotted by Elizabeth the fact that That was going on at the same Time as they were planning or not planning Maybe but sowing the seeds or putting In place the breadcrumbs for Danny Davis Mm. having switched the belt From Tito to Randy Savage Is a level of storytelling they don't Get anywhere near (laughs) in Modern pro wrestling which is crazy because it is isn't. Isn't exactly that advanced it's really basic stuff but the fact they were weaved those stories in and out of one another during this time that's quite impressive, which, again, they just don't do that kind of stuff now. And it's not hard. It's, it's actually not. They, the fact that WWF in the late 80s could do it shows it isn't that hard. Agreed. Next up is Gene Oakland backstage with Jake Roberts and Alice Cooper. Robert says that Jimmy Hart planted the seed in Honky's head about him being attacked, but says he w- is still walking. Not really sure what that means. Um, I may not have written that properly. Then Alice Cooper briefly says that he will keep his eye on Jimmy Hart. This Alice Cooper has a similar feel to Ozzy Osbourne here in that it's a little bit pointless. There just doesn't seem to be any reason for him to be there and Ozzy Osbourne felt equally pointless. Alex Cooper though also seems less enthusiastic about mm. being there than Ozzy Osbourne and that was maybe because Ozzy Osbourne was probably on something when he was appearing the previous year. Very
1: much. To, to be fair Alice Cooper probably was at that point as well True. but what I, maybe he was on something. Maybe he was on more of a downer <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. The main thing that struck me from this is when you see footage of Honky Tonk Man hitting Jake over the head with the guitar in the snake pit segment there's very much an ungimmicked guitar which is apparently one of the things that got him hooked on a lot of the pills mm. was because he really seriously injured his neck during that which was a bit of a kind of a sliding doors moment which made me feel a bit sad and it looks fucking horrible because that guitar like i said it's not gimmicked at all it's just a fucking acoustic guitar smashed over his head and it looks awful
2: you can tell he was really trying to like doing his best to make sure that it actually broke as well yeah the amount of times he was like, fucking break.
1: The other thing that I realised during this as well, so Alice Cooper's first name's Alice. <laughs> it's never, never occurred to me before that his name was Alice. It just never, you know, one of those moments you're like, oh yeah, that's a bit weird, isn't it? I know it's not his real name, but still, strange.
0: Yeah, it's funny, the, the, the guitar thing, because as you say, like, it is properly stick like it's a real guitar and it makes you kind of then think about jarrett and his fucking balsa wood guitars that just exploded upon impact mm. and it's hard to know what i prefer more because obviously this is awful it ruined arguably if it was a major part of jake roberts's kind of descent into addiction ruined his life in some respects but i also object entirely to jeff jarrett coming down and hitting people over the head with a guitar that looks like it's made from sugar Like I just, I'm like, I don't want it. I don't want either of those things to happen. (laughs) Basically, if you have really to your point, Matt, if you have to like, if you can't do it and make it look good, don't do it. And equally, if you can't do it, uh, and it's going to hurt, then don't do that either. You know, just find a way to make stuff that doesn't hurt look really good. And neither Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett doesn't look good, and uh, and um, this wasn't good.
1: Yeah, it's made me feel a bit sad.
0: So then Gene, Gene Oakland is also backstage with Honky Tonk Man. Honky, say, Honky says that he knows that the fans all want to see him sing and dance and hear <laughs> the number one song in America, and he thanks all of his fans across the world. So Honky's very much playing the the heel he thinks is the babyface.
1: It's amazing. He's so good. It's amazing.
0: The next match is Jake Roberts versus Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk Man's got Jimmy Hart in his corner. Jake Roberts has got Alice Cooper in his corner. Jimmy Hart takes another load of punishment during this one. The end of this match comes when Honky Schoolboys Roberts and holds the rope to get the pin. After the match, Jimmy is caught in the ring by Jake Roberts and Alice Cooper, and Jake Roberts and Alice Cooper unleash Damien on Jimmy Hart, which again, not great for the snake, we've discussed that last week, Mm -hmm. but again, Jimmy Hart taking a load of punishment, and also, the fans just hated him. He's working his fucking ass off during
1: this show. He's really working hard. He's amazing. I mean, this match, I must admit, I was a little bit fatigued after the last match, because I took an entire page of notes in the last match, and I loved it so much. The match starts off pretty hot with just Jake attacking Honky outside the ring but I haven't really got many thoughts I didn't think this match was great I mean Honky's got the upper hand through the majority of the match but when Jake comes back again the crowd are just into it there's a great moment when Honky Tonk Man gets hit and he's kind of between the ropes and he's like bouncing back and getting hit it's almost like the the stupid clothesline thing that Dean Ambrose used to do where he'd fall back into the ropes it's like that but it just keeps getting hit I like the fact that Honky Tonk Man wins by grabbing the rope to get that extra leverage so I just hate hate the stuff with the snake at the end I don't like snakes as One knows but i also don't like the fact they just get an animal who got no choice in the matter and dumps it on someone i think is really distasteful at the end of the match alice cooper and jimmy look like they're about to get into a fight and they make a joke the commentary team make a joke about how skinny alice cooper's arms are which i thought was quite funny but yeah not not, not a great not a great match i don't think but it's kind of a little bit of popcorn fluff after the great match we've just seen
0: um alice cooper suffers from the fact that grilla monsoon doesn't know who he is
1: yeah <laughs> And therefore
0: has no inclination to, like, defend him as a baby face or anything. He's just like, I don't know who this guy is, so I don't care.
1: And he looks exactly the same now as he did then. Yeah,
0: I was thinking that.
2: Really weird. Yeah, they um, there wasn't there wasn't that much to this, to be honest. Um, the thing with this snake, I mean the, the the bit with the snake that kind of got me is is when they sort of you know panned in when he was in the bag at one point, and he was kind like, poking trying to get out of the bag. I was a bit like, uh, okay, that's a bit yeah without that. But Yeah, I mean it, it was pretty much you know it was Jake trying to get the DDT, which it's still cool that you know the, the crowd does definitely pop for that. Like every time he sort of signals, you know he's going to go for it, mm. they, they do sort of get into that, so that's cool. I I, I don't know what it is about Honky, but I I. Do do find him
1: fascinating.
2: There's just something about that guy's personality that I I just find entertaining as hell, so it it wasn't the best match, but I, I quite like Honky Tonk, man, so I I was okay with it The finish was good The heel cheat in In the way that they meant to So that was cool Yeah again Could have done the game Again without the snake At the end But for what it was It it was fine This was your This was your toilet break Really uh, After the last match So it it, it achieved Its objective Talking about sliding doors moments Let's talk about Honky Tonk Man
0: For a second Shall we So And this obviously Also links to the whole Randy Savage Ricky Steamboat match So Ricky Steamboat Won the Intercontinental title From Savage In that match And then Not too long afterwards Asked WWE management to take a leave of absence because his wife was expecting a baby and they weren't happy with it because obviously they'd built him up and had him beat randy savage who was another person that they really did actually value quite a lot in the company they had him pin him clean arguably i suppose not quite clean but near enough and so they yeah they were not happy with him at all they had then scheduled ricky steamboat to lose the belt to butch reed but on the night that he was due to win the match Butch Reed didn't turn up and so they had Honky Tonk replace him instead and and it's kind of seen as a bit of a, a fuck you to Ricky Steamboat was that Honky beat him for the title because Honky was a little bit of a joke wrestler it wasn't really supposed to be serious but from the sounds of it actually given that they were trying to give it to Butch Reed instead and then he didn't he wasn't around when they wanted to do it perhaps was just a consequence of we need a guy to do it and we've got Honky here so we'll just have him do it but had that not happened had that sequence of events not taken place Honky Tonk Man probably wouldn't be remembered quite as fondly or quite as well as he is now because obviously he then went on to have the record intercontinental title reign just because ultimately he was there and they decided there was no one else at that point that they wanted to have the belt. So a bit of a strange moment there where Honky Tonk Man could be just a footnote in wrestling's long history and instead actually probably had quite a protracted and... Surprising time as a, a guy that ultimately would would have been in top matches as in the Continental Champion on the B level house shows would have been against other top baby faces in the in that position.
1: I, you always knew I loved uh, Honky talk Man for some reason, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and of course Steamboat would never then be used properly by WWF again they just were not happy with him at all after all that had happened and seemingly I suppose at this point they obviously had big plans for Steve yeah. again thinking about the B-level shows on the house show circuit he would have headlined them yeah he would have been the headlining act in those matches so it would have been quite a difficult position for them to be in um, I'm not sure it warranted them being quite so vindictive I'm sure they could have come to some kind of arrangement mm. but still you can almost see their point a little bit it, it wouldn't have been a surprise do you know what I mean yeah Boat's wife was pregnant you know it wouldn't have been like suddenly oh my god we've got a baby so you know maybe maybe there should have been some communications open earlier on in that kind of whole thing which was look before you put me put the title on me this is happening <laughs> can we uh, can we arrange something but no I don't know whether that was his third wife his fourth wife or his fifth wife Tom but yeah I know he's the philanderer steamboat the next match is the last one we've got to cover because we've already spoken Mm. about the main event it is a tag team match it sees the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov against the Killer Bees, B Brian Blair and Jim Brunzel in a five and a half minute match which ends when we get a disqualification because Haxal Jim Duggan decides to just insert himself into the (laughs) match uh, and hit the Iron Sheik with his two by four this is after Jim Duggan had already interrupted Nikolai Volkov singing the Russian Russian national anthem at the beginning of the show and then saying, and I quote, that you're not allowed to sing that song because this is the the, the home of the free, yeah. the land <laughs> yeah. of the brave. Uh, what? <laughs> I, I thought that
1: Funny. That's a wonderful A wonderful contradiction
0: If if ever If ever The contradiction inherent In patriotism Was exposed It was right here
1: The match is uh, Not
0: particularly great But what did you think of it
2: Guys Matt why didn't you go first It actually surprised me A, a little bit Not not that I thought you know, It was match of the night Or anything But it, it was better Than I thought it was Which again I, The way in which I watched this show I almost really Didn't like it at first Because um I didn't see The the Hacksaw Jindaga bit at the start so at first I was like what the fuck is Hacksaw Duggan doing there just randomly crashing this?" so
1: to, to be fair that's that's a valid point even if you have seen it you know that's what you think at the beginning of the match as well so
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I, I suppose it is but at least I got to put the you know the whole pieces of the puzzle together eventually but yeah I mean for for a tag team match I mean I was quite I wasn't expecting as as much sort of double team sort of stuff as they did. I mean, it took a couple of minutes for them to sort of almost settle down, like it was all four, all in there all together. And I just thought that was quite chaotic, but in a good way. Like, you know, particularly at this time, I wasn't really expecting that. So I thought that was kind of cool. It was like, oh, they're all in there together. That's cool. It is it's probably one of it's probably one of the more enjoyable experiences I remember with iron cheek <laughs> of all people, really. Um you know, he got a good couple of suplexes in there, you know, good love a good gut wrench suplex you know we got that in the killer bees they, they were all right i mean I the team name and the, the gimmick just, just just goes over my head it nah, d- doesn't work for me but it was a relatively you know
1: decent little tag
2: match um it, it was it was actually better than i thought so I, I i quite enjoyed it
1: i don't remember much from this match so i'll run through my notes okay hacksaw comes down to interrupt the national anthem and then my thought was i guess if hacksaw jim duggan has to be on the card I'd rather him do this than wrestle. So I can't, you know, be too hard that. And then I did notice there was a little American flag on the 2x4, which is lovely. And it was at this point when I realized that the Killer Bees were wrestling in, in Jordans rather than wrestling boots, matching green and black Air Jordan 1s. And I was like, that's amazing. And then I spent the rest of the match researching if that <laughs> if they were Jordans or if they were Nike Dunks. And I think they were dunks, actually. So everyone wore one of that. It's effectively the same shoe. The one's got Nikon and the other one's got Jordan.
0: I am um, I'm so glad you cleared that for us, Tom. Yes, that been, I I would have lost some sleep over that, I can tell you.
1: But I did think to myself a lot of wrestlers are doing that these days so the killer bees are fucking trendsetters in that in that instance after Duggan hits the old Shiki baby with the 2x4 with the, uh, he says that it's only for an eye and they don't play by the rules despite the fact that he has just illegally interfered in the match and hit him with a 2x4 so again the hypocrisy is, is astounding from, from Axel Jim Duggan <laughs> again the thing that I find a bit annoying is that the killer bees just don't care they're like yeah <laughs> they're celebrating with Axel and that's when Jesse Ventura is like they're idiots why is yeah. <laughs> they why do they not care? He's just cost them money. Which I thought was brilliant from Jesse. This match is what well, it is. It's fine. I was waiting for the main event at this point. It's it was it was absolutely fine, inoffensive, and a good use of some good nikes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it was all right. I mean, it's, it's one of those forgettable matches on a 12-match card, which you are going to get some of. And yeah. the tag team division was
1: pretty stacked, though. On this Massively. Show. Yeah, I thought that. I mean, you've got, you got the Bulldogs, the Heart Foundation, the, the Killer Bees. Um, you're soon to get the Powers of Pain who are disappointingly not on this card we're soon to get Demolition uh, we're soon to get Strike Force coming obviously you know the Can-Am connection were pretty good you've got the Rougeos although at the moment on this pay-per-view they're babyfaces but they're, they're about to turn heel and be very entertaining the Brainbusters are going to come in soon you know this, it's that period is what could be considered a golden age of tag team wrestling in a promotion that put never put any stock in tag team wrestling so they've got some great tag teams and never really utilised them as much as they could do
0: well the other thing is, is it reminds me a little bit of about 2018 2017 2018 no so that sort of time wwe's roster ballooned to a massive size they just they signed every decent talent pretty much in the entire world, shortly before AEW came into being. They had pretty much everybody under contract, either on the main roster or NXT or in development of some kind. It reminds me of that because at the time, WWF were still trying to put all the territories out of business. They were still f- effectively just hiring everyone they mm. could get their hands on. It was just stacked and they just kept signing new guys. And as you said, they brought in a load of new talent as well shortly after that. It. It, so they just had a, a massive roster. They couldn't even do what they would do later on in time when they try to get everybody in the company on the show because they just didn't are nowhere near enough spaces for them all. Mm. So so that's why you've got Jim Duggan, for example, appearing here just randomly ringside alongside the killer bees. So yeah, um, and Dino Bravo is also on the show randomly alongside the dream team yeah. when you're on the show. You know, just well, we've got we've got him, and just chuck him out there somewhere. Why not? So that's the whole show. That is the whole of WrestleMania 3. I know Matt, you didn't see it all. So as I say, some homework for you before your next show. Finish off the show and then, then bring us sh- your rating out of 10 because i think do think that's actually quite that's something that we kind of need if we're going to fairly rate each of these wrestlemanias out, uh, you know give it get an average rating so i won't ask you for your overall summary of the show because you don't have one yet maybe we'll ask you next week uh, not next week two weeks
2: time i should say that's fair i, I have an idea i think of which way it's potentially going to go but uh we'll get there
0: yeah should be should be interesting tom what was your what's your overall thoughts your rating out of 10
1: so yeah. overall thoughts is that this was three hours of four minutes of pure heaven for me. <laughs> um, I am giving this probably my joint highest score of all time. I'm giving it a nine. Wow. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. The only thing that stops it from being a 10 is the fact that there's no powers of pain. And <laughs> I don't, and I don't like the WWF championship belt. Don't like it. It's not the winged eagle yet. Not a fan of it. It's got Hogan versus Andre. One of the most iconic moments of all time in WWF. They'll have you believe It's got Incredible match Steamboat versus Brandy Savage. It's got Gorilla and Jesse on commentary. It's got Mean Gene doing the interviews. It's got the Fink doing the ring announcing. It's got the Heart Foundation. It's got the Bulldogs. It's got great celebrity involvement. And ultimately, it's got the feels. And that's that's the most important thing about this. I absolutely adore this. It's probably realistically a seven or an eight, but it gets the feels bump by an extra two points. Love it, love it, love it.
0: I, I always admire Tom for that for his rating because he is not somebody who stands on ceremony or pretends that there's some kind of deeper science behind this is just this is how I feel about it and you're getting that rating and that's that which I can't do I wish I could but I I just can't do it I am much more of a kind of oh this has to be fair this has to be fair compared to other shows and there's no reason why it does that's why I admire Tom for that kind of way of thinking I've been struggling sorry
1: MVP I'm torn I'm very torn because I was going to give it to Jimmy Hart as well I know we can give it to two, two of us can give it to the same person but I don't I don't like to do that so I I'm gonna go give it to um big uh, Jack Lanza I Thought so. I for having to say. for having such an inflated opinion of his own importance in the, <laughs> on the card. I've got to give it to big Jack Lanza. What a guy?
0: Well, oh, fair enough. I mean, he probably had a hand in the agenting for a lot of these matches. So yeah. you know, fair enough. I'm I was struggling struggling with a rating for this because I do think there's some decent stuff. I think the main event is well worth a watch. As I said, it's hard to recommend it from a pure this is a great match standpoint, but it it is arguably the biggest match ever certainly one of the biggest matches ever i mean it's up there with austin the rock rock and cena it is one of the biggest matches in the history of the business. There's just no denying it.
1: People who don't watch wrestling will know those two people. Yes, my wife, before like she knew anything about wrestling, knew who Andre the Giant was mainly because of the Princess Bride, I think. But still, like, and everyone knows who Hulk Hogan is. You know, these are two people that transcend wrestling. Everyone knows who they are. Mm. I, don't no, know why I don't know why I've said that, but there you go.
0: No, you no, I think you, <laughs> I think I think you're right, and I, I think that's that's part of And yeah, that's partly because this match was so big, and also partly the the reason why it was so big so it's kind of a chicken and egg situation there and the Ricky Steamboat Randy Savage match is great it's a very very good match and I'm just torn between five and six I'm gonna give it a six I'm gonna give it a six I, I looked I had to check my rating for Wrestlemania one which I gave a five which is quite high I, I would I imagine some people would think and I thought actually this is better than Wrestlemania one but there is a lot on it that's a bit like I mean again much like Wrestlemania two the first six matches are like mm, do we do we need any of that can we just cut that out and the rest of the show be the show we've got but those two matches make it up to a six I think think the Randy Savage-Ricky Steamboat match is very, very good. And the main event is just, i say it's an iconic. It's one of the biggest matches ever. It's certainly as good as it possibly could be. It very much feels a bit like Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior in that respect. That's a, when we get there. That's about as good as it possibly can be. This is undoubtedly, there's no way this could have been much better, especially at the time, given Andre's own lack of just mobility when we got to this point. So, yeah, six out of ten, I'm going to give it. Overall, as I say, the night when WrestleMania became what WrestleMania is, they started to get the balance right between the number of celebrities that they needed on the show. They started to get the balance right between the, the amount of matches. And certainly from here on in four, five, six, seven, four, five, six and seven, those WrestleManias all have loads of matches on them. There's a lot mm. of throwaway stuff, but there are centerpiece matches as well to most of those nights. I think unlike WrestleMania two, maybe they actually do adequately give the right matches or some matches on each of those shows some time to really leave an impression and here they've got it in the Savage and Steamboat match and in the, the Hogan-Andre match so that's everything for today Matt I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it next week and then of course your your thoughts on the next Wrestlemania that we have which is Wrestlemania 4. Wrestlemania 4 is going to be an interesting one it's longer than this one Um, it was the one that famously I remember uh, somebody that I knew having it on VHS and it's two VHS's it was a double VHS
1: that's because it was a bit longer Yeah.
0: and also Tom I seem to remember it being one of your favourites back in the
1: day. Wrestlemania before. Yeah. yeah it's not actually very good but <laughs> but it's, it's yeah it's a shame it's a shame that i'm not gonna be able to watch it because i i you know, you know I, mean? I love it i might watch it but i will watch it anyway it's gonna
0: be a it's gonna be another one that would get a nine out of ten
1: <laughs> yeah oh don't know it would and also i must admit my my score is definitely trying to counterbalance matt's inevitable three <laughs> <because it's, laughs> literally...
0: i th- I think you might get lucky if he gets a three to be honest yeah. well, we, we, we will see we'll find out so matt thank you for joining me today
2: thank you very much pleasure as always i will uh i will return to form Bye bye for the next show. Yes, that's right. Yes,
0: don't don't be bitter about the uh, things I've said to you today. Be better, (laughs) Tom. uh, Thank you as well for your contribution.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I started off a little bit hungover. I'm finishing a little bit hungover, but my mood is greatly improved mainly because I got to chat about this with you two lads.
0: Excellent stuff. We will be back again in two weeks, where as I said, we will be covering WrestleMania four. But until then, take care.